These are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. Obi could beat the fuck out of Wayne Gretzky. Could you break Wayne Gretzky's leg? Because he's 24! The smoke blinds from straight 40s before I go out for warmies. We got like half dressed and then last for and we we're just going nuts. We're in the locker room by then. We we're just going absolutely bananas. All right, guys, we now welcome on a very special guest, former DC Sportscaster of the Year, 12-time Capital Emmy Award winner, and longtime voice of our beloved Washington Capitals can be heard on ESPN, the Big Ten Network, you name it, he calls it. Ladies and gentlemen, Joe Beninati, welcome to uh, the podcast. Fellas, it's my pleasure. Happy to join you. Excellent, excellent. So, Joe, we appreciate you, like I said. Um, for so long, you've just kind of lived in every Caps fan's living room. You and Locke, <laughs> just every season, just telling us the story of the team, the story of you know, individual players and telling it with such charismatic, you know, structure to it. So we kind of want to now tell the story of the guy that tells the stories. <laughs> so we'll start at the beginning there. I mean, born and raised in New York there, Long Island. I mean, what was your first, you know, encounter with sports? Was there an athlete? Was there a moment in game that just kind of made you think, wow, sports, sports are written. How do I get involved? First of all, you're talking to a guy who has a degree in biology and wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> That's the truth. Yeah. We'll get we'll get to that further down the list in this uh, in this story. But um, with respect to loving sports, I, I always did from the very very beginning. And I can go back as far as I can remember. My father was a New York City firefighter and a registered nurse. He was an unbelievable baseball player, great shortstop. He loved hockey. He was a Rangers fan. I loved hockey more than baseball, but I played both of them when I was five, six, seven, eight years old. And my dad was really smart in that he asked me, I always wanted to be a goalie. Dad, can we please get the goalie pads? Can I please wear a mask? No, no, no. You have to make a travel team first as a skater, and then we'll talk about goalie. Age five, I learned how to skate. Age six, I made a mite squirt uh, or a mite uh, travel team, and my dad lived up to his word. As soon as I was seven years old and I had made that travel team, uh, we went out and got the goalie pads. So I, I was in love with hockey from the very beginning. And here's where the quasi-broadcaster in me comes out. When we would be playing street hockey or we'd be playing pickup football or touch football, pole-to-pole or anything basketball-related, hey, can we be the 76ers and the Celtics? And I was the dumb-dumb who had all the names in his mind. Can yeah. we be the Rangers and the Flyers playing street hockey? We'd run around. I'd be calling the game. Can we, do the, can we be the 49ers and the Steelers? I had all the names. Yeah. And – Perish the thought if I was to get tired while running around and stop calling the game, guys would be like, are you sick? Is there something wrong? <laughs> so always there, there was always this play-by-play seed that was somewhere in there. But I, I love sports ever since I could, as far back as I can remember. So did you have an alliance with the uh, New York teams growing up? Or in what sports were you kind of into growing up? Was it hockey, football? I, I loved them all. Um, my dad, like I said, was a New York City firefighter. He and three other firefighters were season ticket holders to the Rangers. So I would yeah. go to Madison Square Garden a lot when I was a kid. And it's great uh, going back yeah. now as an adult and to, to work games there. The seats that my dad had as season tickets no longer exist in the reconfiguration wow. of MSG. So that's kind of wild whenever we go back there with the caps. But right. um, football – baseball, hockey, basketball. I, I love them all. And growing up in the New York area, I was able to hear some of the, the legends of the sports broadcasting world, specifically Marv Albert was who I would almost fall asleep to when I was seven, eight, nine years old, 
whether it be on TV or radio. So there was always that influence there. He but what, Rangers and Knicks, correct? He did Knicks for a long time. He did Rangers radio for a long time. I mean, again, Marv was a guy who, just like his son Kenny, crossed over into a lot of different disciplines with regard to sport. But he was based in New York, so we heard him quite often. And, um, yeah, there was, there was always that passion for sports. And I'll, I'm not lying to you. Ever since I was age 13, 14, it was, can I be a doctor? I wanted to be a, a sports medicine guy, an orthopedic surgeon. I wanted to be involved in sports, but I was going to fix your elbow or fix your shoulder. My allegiances, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in my family who are Yankees fans. I wasn't one of those. Uh, my four years in high school were the Islander dynasty run. I liked the Islanders, but my dad was more of a Ranger fan, so I sort of liked them more. And I'll be even more honest in that uh, Channel 29 out of Philadelphia, for some reason, came beaming into our homes on Long Island. So I would see Flyers games in the Broad Street Bullies days. Those were, you know, I'd be 10 or 11 years old back in the mid-70s watching those guys beat the hell out of people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, those are some – I mean, A.B., I think you – I mean, there's another sport that you haven't even mentioned yet that I quickly kind of want to touch on. Go ahead. Yeah, um, something we want to bring up. I don't think a lot of people realize that you hold the record for the most saves in a single season (laughs) at uh, 263 for Bowden College uh, lacrosse team, huh? Stud lax goalie? I, hey, I, there we go. I, I've held that record for more than 30 years, which is kind of cool. <laughs> and I hope it continues oh. to this day. But it's a, sa- it's a saves for the season record. And I always kid around when I speak to other coaches. Um, yeah, I had no rebound control. So I'd make that first save, but I'd give the ball right back to you for another shot. That's why I had all the rebounds. And that's why I had all the saves. But yeah, pass, huh? I've held that for a long, long time. But like I said, my dad was a great ball player. And I didn't know lacrosse until I was a freshman in high school. So I was going to be the shortstop on the high school baseball team. Mm-hmm. And I was convinced that that was going to happen. And it didn't. I was cut and I was miserable. And I'm walking off the field and the lacrosse coach sees me and goes, hey, aren't you that little freshman hockey goalie? I'm like, yeah. He goes, do you ever play lacrosse? I go, no. And he hands <laughs> me the butterfly net. And I stand in a hockey goalie crouch. I'm looking <laughs> like Lundquist or Braden Hope. He goes, no, 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 no. We stand up. We stand up. Come on out to practice today. You'll love it. And he was right. I fell in love with the sport uh, ever since. Easy transition. Yeah, for sure. You're calling, you're calling some across too, right? At some well, point. This year, this year I was supposed to be doing a lot of Big Ten Network. I was supposed to be uh, calling the first round of the NCAA tournament on ESPN. I, cr- mm-hmm. I called my first lacrosse game in 1999. So I've done college and pro since then. Mm-hmm. And, and I love it. And I grew up to love the sport once I started to play it. In, in high school, I actually played more lacrosse in college at Bowdoin than I did hockey. Uh, I, was, I was a goalie in both sports. I wanted to be the varsity goalie in ice hockey at Bowdoin. They brought in three of us the same year to try and beat out this junior who was a spectacular player. None of us could take the job from him. And that's truly when I got involved with broadcasting on radio and TV. Yeah, that's 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 kind of interesting. So you just said you got that via college. I mean, it's interesting hearing you talk about how growing up it was always, you know, sports medicine, kind of something like that. I mean, who knows? You could have been Greg Smith behind the Caps bench for the last <laughs> however many years instead. But um, yeah, I, like like I mentioned in the email to you too. I mean, that's I mean, kind of getting into broadcasting kind of didn't start for me until college, and it, I was like, all right, I'm sitting in the press box at that West Virginia Towson game, and I look over and there's NFL scouts everywhere, and I'm like 
holy crap, that's Joe B. I've been listening to him since <laughs> 98 when I really started watching Cavs game. And I walked over and I was like, hey, Joe, like, man, Cavs fan, good to meet you. And they're like, you got any samples of work on you? And I was like, shit. Um, no, I don't. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm scouting for the Maryland-West Virginia game next week. I was like, well, I don't have any samples of work, but how about this? I know you're a catchy little 15-second jingle before each Cavs game that rhymes and everything. I was like, let me try to help you write it. And I remember at the time it was like Russell Shell was our running back. It was something to do with like Russell breaking out of his shell against. Oh, you're talking about you're talking about writing teases. Yeah, those are yeah, great. Those are, are those are fun to write. Those yeah, are yeah. yeah. The next year we go in and I start the the broadcast team at West Virginia, and that lasted my senior year there. But yeah, so you going back kind of to that, you're starting broadcasting. I mean, you mentioned it wasn't really until college. I mean, did you get a call, or did you just kind of go up to a coach and say, "Hey, I kind of want to try to call a game or something. I know the sport. I love the sport. Let me try to kind of do a little play by play here." Or so the first year that I'm on campus, I get hurt in the fall. I could not play hockey at all. I was hoping to unseat that junior who was turning, going to turn out to be an All-American in the net. I wasn't going to beat him out any day soon for his job. I got hurt my freshman year. Buddies of mine were DJs on the campus radio station. Okay. Hey, um, can you help us describe these hockey games? And I said to them, you mean like call play-by-play? -play? And they're like, yes, exactly. And then all of a sudden, in my mind, I went back to running around on the streets when I was seven, eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah, you know, maybe that might work. And honestly, guys, I did uh, probably did three games. And I don't know how, but there was a Casco Cable TV station. I don't know how they got my phone number at the college, but they did. They called me up and they go, hey, we heard you on the radio. You're pretty good. Do you want to do this on television? I said, sir, I'm 18 years old. He goes, oh, well, that doesn't matter. You're, you're, you're good. Do you know anything about football and basketball? I said, sure. He goes, well, we do lots of high school football and basketball. You could do all those sports for us on television. I said, are you offering me three sports on television at age 18? He goes, yes. I said, you have a deal. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile I'm, I'm telling you, true to form, I am so hardcore pre-med taking courses that are way over my head. Bowden makes great lawyers. They make great doctors. They're not in the in the broadcast industry broadcast. there was no there was no broadcast journalism or communications and i just stuck it out with with biology the whole time but all the while now i'm doing three sports on tv i jump into the sports information director's office i'm helping him write press releases and prepare media guides and do stats and the day i graduated fellas after my sophomore year calling mom and dad Hey, I don't know about med school. Oh, really? What do you want to do? I think I want to be a sportscaster. Click. <laughs> Hang up as fast as possible. Yep. They were really supportive. But the day I graduated, fellas, they made me the SID. They said, congratulations. Move your tassel. You're the sports information director on Monday. I'm like, okay, never have to look for a job. And, and that was it. I, I spent the four undergraduate years at Bowdoin plus two more years as the SID there. And that's Brunswick, Maine. Mm -hmm. And the professional side of it starts with a not-so-cute story involving the team that was in Portland, Maine, the American Hockey League. That was the Maine Mariners. That's where my entry to the, to the pro sports world would come. So uh, you spent, I think, five years in the AHL, a lot of bus trips, stuff like that. Um, I mean, how, how was that, um, like that time in the AHL? So here's the thing, Kyle. When you're working in the American Hockey League, it is – vastly different than broadcasting in the NHL. When I was working in Portland, Maine, and in Providence, you wore seven different hats. Yes, you were the radio and TV guy, but you also did notes, you did stats, you did all the publications, 
you were the uh, team services guy, you were the immigrations guy, you were the travel secretary. The only the Swiss thing Army that, knife. Completely. <laughs> the only thing that I was spared of, which most guys who are in the American and women who are working in the minor leagues, most of them have to sell. Most of them have to sell advertising. That was the only thing that I was insulated from. I never had to sell time on the radio. I never had to sell ad space for the programs. Uh, our owner, president, GM, they did all of that stuff. They let me focus on just those six or seven things that we're talking about. So honestly, boys, those are 20-hour days. And yeah. you did that. You put everything into it, looking forward to 7 o'clock at night when you were on the air. But I can tell you stories where I was still in the office at 6.53 before a 7 o'clock show yeah, can you move this paragraphic around? Can you change this stack? Can you change this headline? I need a different photo. Ed, I'm on the air in five minutes. No, 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 you're okay. And then I would sprint up to the booth. Nowadays, totally different. You have all that time to prepare. And like you were saying to me, Matt, you had the, I had time to go in and pre-scout a West Virginia football game. Mm -hmm. But you did all those things at the development level, whether it be single-A, double-A, triple-A baseball, whether it be development league in the NBA, whether it be American Hockey League or ECHL in hockey, you do all those things to get where you are so that you can become just focused and fixated on being a TV or the best radio announcer you can possibly be. But I set a goal for myself. I wanted to be in the NHL before I was 30. Luckily, I did that at age 28 by the time I got my call here in D.C. back in 1994. Yeah, so so, did, did, I'm sorry, Matt, but did you reach out to the Caps, or how, how did that whole situation work where you got hired by them in 94? Jeff Rimmer was on his way from the Washington, D.C. area to go and work with what was then a relatively young Florida Panthers franchise. That opened up the job. You know, I, this is probably in and around the time that you guys were born almost, or maybe shortly thereafter. Um, home team sports had a 60-game package. And WB50 or DC20 had the other 20 games. When Jeff leaves to go to Florida, that creates the, the opening at WB50 and DC20. I put in to be a TV guy for that station. And all of a sudden, I'm in the final three and I'm being interviewed. And voila, you got the job. That's fantastic. Now, I'm leaving one of the best radio jobs in the American Hockey League in Providence at the time to only do 20 games on TV. But what made it perfect was the Caps liked me so much. They saw my tapes. They wanted it to be a full-time gig for me. They said, you know what? Six in, sit in the other 60 games with Ron Weber on the radio. So Ooh, now they made it a full-time gig. Boom. Off I go and I take it. The, the funny part of the story is, if you remember back to 1994-95, that was the first labor dispute. That was a lockout. Right. Hey, welcome, welcome to the big leagues. There <laughs> are no big leagues. That was the first of three of those that I've had to endure. Wow, Never good. Yeah. That's kind of funny because uh, we had uh, Tarek on a while back, and yeah. his first year in the league, he also had a lockout. The first, his first year writing for the Caps, he said it was it was the lockout year, so I had no idea what to write about. Yeah, it's a wow. that's a real kick in the head, and this is what we're going through now with the league being paused right. the way it is is totally different. In that you've played sixty eight, sixty nine games, and now you're having this crazy kind of stoppage due to the to the uh, the pandemic and. I want to say that I'm used to it, but those three before were always, there's no start of the season in October. This is totally different right. to have things come to a halt in, in March. Yeah. So now that we're on to the caps right now, you come in, uh, you got guys like Bonja, Oli Kolzig, kind of wall, Chuck Berube, uh, your partner, Alan May, uh, kind of take us through that first season that you had the full season of the NHL 
I mean, it had to been a, like a huge adjustment. I mean, you already mentioned how different it was from the NHL or from the AHL to the NHL. Just take us a little through that that adjustment period. Yeah, the the biggest thing, Alex, is, is being a television guy full time. Right. When I was coming from Providence, I would probably do sixty games of radio play by play, and the other twenty were on TV with uh, with Nesson, New England's uh, New England Sports Network. Right. which still has the rights to the Boston Bruins today. Nesson were, were the people who gave me my TV entree. They were, the, they were the ones who first put me on TV. Now you're going to be on TV all the time, and there's a different cadence, a different pacing, a different rhythm. Everything from a broadcast standpoint, thank goodness, went smoothly. I had terrific producers and directors to work with back then when I was just cutting my teeth in the NHL, learning the ropes. But right. from, a, from a roster standpoint, Jim Schoenfeld was the head coach at the time. He was incredibly forgiving, and um, he was very patient with me as I was getting up to a full understanding of how the, N- the NHL works on a day-to-day basis. I couldn't think of a better head coach to, uh, to break in with than Shoney. He was incredibly patient. He was very cooperative. Uh, he, he didn't give you pad answers. You know, he, he could easily just give you some, something that you could sit there and go, okay, I can work with that. He, he gave you stuff that you could really use on the air. So I'm forever indebted to him for that. The group on the ice was tremendous. And I'll say this now. I've been here, what, 25, 26 years in the market. Honestly, fellas, I could count on maybe three, three fingers the amount of dum-dums, the amount of bad guys there have been in 26 years. Crazy. So, so the, the group of players, the athletes here have been great to work with. They warmed up to me. And I, I don't know where all 25 years have come and gone, but that quarter century has gone really fast and, and thankfully really well. For sure. I kind of want to jump back to something real quick. You mentioned growing up falling asleep to Mark Albert. I mean, who, yeah. were, who were some of the others um, that you maybe studied uh, once you started really getting the broadcasting? And a, a question on top of that, or in your opinion, who are some of the best, you know, play-by-play color guys in the game today? Two good questions. Um, let's go back to the first one first. So obviously Marv was influential to me when I was young. Right. And even more so as I got to the American Hockey League, uh, Kenny Albert, Marv's son, and I are pretty much contemporaries in as far as being in the American Hockey League at the same time. Kenny was working in Baltimore when I was working in Maine and in Providence. And Kenny's dad, Marv, would occasionally visit Kenny while he was doing games in the American League. And every once in a while, they would be at those games where I was working across from Kenny Hey, really, is Marv gonna, is your dad going to be here tonight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, could he jump on with me in between periods as a guest? I was in heaven. So here's one of my heroes, and I'm interviewing him as a pro. And, again, he treated me like I was in the business forever, and I will never forget that. He's one of the people influential to my style for sure. But I would counsel and advise any young announcer, I would tell that person, him or her, to be themselves. I didn't want to go into it and be Marv, but Marv was influential in, in the cadence and in the rhythm for sure. When I was in the American Hockey League in Portland, Maine, my first job was with the then Maine Mariners, and I walked into the owner's office before he hired me, and I saw this pyramid of, of great pictures and photos of people who are obviously important to the gentleman who was hiring me. At the very top was Mike Emmerich. I'm like, um, Doc worked here, right? Yeah, Doc worked in Portland in the late 70s. And Joe, if you're wise, you'll do it like him. So anybody who, what would the word be, succeeded Mike in Portland was always advised, hey, you know, reach out to Doc. He'll help you. He was one of the first people who critiqued my tapes. Really? So 
Now you've got Marv Legend, Doc Legend. And I'll go one further. When I was in Portland, Maine, and when I was in Brunswick, Maine, even at, at Bowdoin, uh, Gary Thorne was working at the University of Maine. Yeah. And Gary Thorne was doing double-A baseball in Portland, Maine. And Gary and I would do games, Bowdoin against the University of Maine games, separated by 10 feet. Gary, would you please give my tape a listen? So those are the three guys who really did a, a solid by me and spending some time with me, listening, constructively criticizing my tapes, and helping to mold the guy who's on the air now. I'd be lying if I, if I didn't say it were those three. Those were the three who had the most influence, for sure. Gary, Gary's got some of the best calls in NHL history. He's, when he went out of hockey, I was like, come on, man. We need you back in the sport. Yeah, but you know, he, memorials, but. In any sport, in, in football, yeah. in baseball, and specifically in, in hockey, I know the ones that you're referencing – um, he's blessed, obviously, with, a, with one of the voices of God. Yeah. When, you, when you hear um, his voice, the voice quality is fabulous. It's the beautiful, deep baritone that we all would strive for. So he was given a gift. And then to be able to string phrases together and enunciate clearly and identify players properly, you know, that's the real charm and that's the talent of this job. But if you have that voice quality – now, that's a network announcer. And right. if you, knew it, then you knew it the second you heard Gary Thorne. The opposite may be true when you think of Doc Emmerich. Mike's voice is unique. Mm -hmm. it, has, it has a very odd sound to it at times. It is I not did. nearly the depth and baritone of Gary Thorne. Right. But it works for Doc. And Doc, from a historical standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, from a vocabulary verbiage standpoint, is a genius. Marv was... Marv was enthusiasm. Marv was passion. That's what I learned from him, and that's what I hope to bring to every telecast that I work on. All right, Joby. So this one might be hard. It might be not. Let's see. What is your uh, Pacific, like, favorite call of all time that you've ever made? Whew. <laughs> you know, I I've been asked this before, and I always struggle with it. I've been lucky to call eight different sports. Yeah, and pretty cool on both TV and radio. So there are, there are differences to the calls. Yep. I've done Olympic games on radio and those are incredibly special. A gold medal game, Henrik Lundqvist winning it in, um, in Torino, Italy in 2006 that I did for, for Westwood one and for what it was then known as NBC sports radio. That call to me is something that I will always remember because the game was fantastic and when I'll be honest with you guys, I listen to just about everything that I do. I still, to this day, want to get better. I want to improve. I haven't done my best show yet. So I'll listen to everything and say, okay, that was really good. That wasn't so good. Modify this, change that. Um, Olympic Games really, really get me going. That's best on best. And for me, that's been on the radio, which I think is the purest form of play-by-play. But on TV, I've had the good pleasure now of broadcasting one, two, three different winter classics. I did one in Pittsburgh. I did one at Notre Dame. I did one this year at, um, at, uh, in Dallas. And those are incredible experiences. So they have to be included among my favorites. Isolated games or moments. I mean, Alex Ovechkin's goal in Glendale, Arizona, yeah. his rookie year that he'll forever be connected to, I was lucky enough to provide a soundtrack to that. So I know I've heard that call an awful lot. 
Millions. It'll never, it'll never be said by me ever again. Right. I'll never use those two words. I shouldn't, I don't think, ever use those two words in terms of simply sensational ever again. Oh, I love because that one that. was so special. Um, I think of Jason Shamara in a double overtime game-winning goal yep. in Madison Square Garden. That was fantastic. That was a multi, a multi overtime game where the Caps actually won. That hasn't happened very often. Right, right. Not in those multi-overtime games. The longer they go, the better it tends to turn out. I've still broadcast what I think, from a Division One standpoint, is the longest lacrosse game ever. Um, it was the University of Maryland and Virginia when they were ACC rivals, a game that went to seven overtimes. I did that with Quint Kesnick. That game was on ESPN. I'll never forget that. I will never forget um, doing – the first telecast in Nebraska, the season after the Huskers punter was killed in an automobile accident. I had the home opening game at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, 95,000 people strong. And yes, guys, you know that hockey is my favorite sport to do, but it's hard to beat but it's about college, the college football Saturday night. So now put the setting in Lincoln, 95,000 people, and the emotional ties of returning to campus, this player was beloved, lost tragically in an automobile accident, and you have to put the call to that first punt without him. That's a moment that I'll never, ever forget. Mm. Thankfully, I've been blessed with a ton, Kyle. I don't know if I can pin it down to just one. I really don't. My, my first NHL game ever on TV, Patrick Wash shutout. The first, major wow. league base, the first Major League Baseball game that I ever called, the first hitter at the plate, Jerry Hairston Jr. in Kansas City, Hits a home run. Line drive wall scraper that made the, made the wall by this much. Wow. Here's your first call in Major League Baseball. The last thing you want to do is call it a home run and have it hit in the middle of the wall. Thank goodness it crawled over the wall, and I was right that it was a home run call. First play from scrimmage in major college football that I ever called. Uh, on radio for Westwood One, Colorado at Nebraska, 66-yard touchdown run. I've been really, really blessed. I, I'm incredibly fortunate. Some definitely cool stories. Is there a part of you that wishes, I mean, every year after the first round of the playoffs, obviously it leaves the local in terms of TV and goes to all NBC. Is there a part of you that wishes you could call, especially in that 2018 year, call the Caps throughout the entirety of the playoff run? Of course. Yeah. Of course. I mean, so, after 25 years with this club, you want to be there in the biggest, brightest moments. And if you remember, I was doing the national telecast as well as the Caps. Right. From 2005 through 2010, I had six seasons when the NHL was on versus. And all of a sudden, Doc was the number one, and they had slotted me number two, and I will never forget that. I was overwhelmed and humbled by that experience. And Doc would be doing whatever, the Eastern Conference or Western Conference, and I would be on the other side. And then Mike would be, you know, Doc would call the Stanley Cup final. It was tracking like, you know what, you're going to actually live your dream. You're going to someday succeed Doc and be calling the, uh, the Stanley Cup final, which is why I got into this business. Now, kind of, we, there, was a, there was a switch. There was a change in 2010, and that management change didn't work out so well for me. We can get into that. It's a sore spot. But for the last uh, Let's go. eight, nine years, All I've right, been left out. I went from being the number two to not being in the mix. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that June 7th, 2018 – was one of the greatest nights of my life but and, and 
one of the most stressing nights of my life. Right. With five minutes to go, with seven minutes to go after Lars Eller scores, and the Caps have to protect that last seven minutes in game five in Vegas, I was there. I was doing pregame shows and postgame shows, but it wasn't my call. Mm-hmm. And I was agonizing on the last minute as to, and it's not just me, fellas. It's not just being selfish. I wanted all of us at NBC Sports Washington, who I've worked with for two decades, all of our camera operators, our audio engineers, our producers, directors, Locker, Alan May, Al Koken, Rob Carl, all those guys. And I wanted our team to be able to do it. And to not be able to, it was as exhilarating as possible. I could not be happier for the fans, for the owners, for the players, for the coaches. But individually, there was part of me that was getting my heart ripped out of my chest not doing that game. Yeah, I mean, you've seen it all. Like I said, since 94 and then 99, Leonsis comes in, kind of changes the feel of the franchise. So 4 Obi comes in, changes the entire league and the city. And then year after year, it was seemingly just heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. And then when that moment comes, they're like, you got to step aside. It's it's switching over to the national stage. And then, but in, in terms of like still radio teams get to travel with the team and they still get to do their calls. I mean, John Walton's calls in that game were absolutely incredible. They're legendary. But yeah, I can totally understand where you can feel like that. But so you can understand what I, you can understand what I'm saying. Yeah, 20, definitely. 25, 30 years from now. Well, let me put on the highlight film from 2018. There's Doc Emmerich. There's John Walton. Joe who? Where's the guy that we see on TV every night? You know, and that's you know that that has to hurt from a pride standpoint. That does hurt, but more than anything, I wanted our whole team, not just Joe. Right. I wanted our whole team to be part of it. But hey, you know, NBC spends an awful lot of money for that exclusivity, and for whatever reason, which I don't want to get into, um, they don't want me to be a part of their team. So I couldn't be a part of that run up or eventually the Stanley Cup final. That's something that I strive for. I told you I haven't done my best game yet. And I'm not just satisfied, per se, with being the 25- or 6-year voice of the Caps. There's a competitive person in me who wants to do more, who wants to get those national opportunities. And that's why I still seek them out in other sports, football, lacrosse, wherever. Um, I'd love for it to be hockey. I'll never say never. I hope it will be someday that the – the people who are doing the national package will reconsider and will include me on those teams. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I had my six years there where it was fun and it was uh, something that I take enormous pride in and I miss it. I'll be honest with you. I miss it to this very day. Right. So real quick to build off that before AB kind of wants to get into the, uh, the, the 2018 run itself, that magical run. So, I mean, say hypothetically a couple of years down the line and their NBC calls you up and says, Hey, doc's kind of on his way out. He's ready to call it. He's had a great career. Um, would you take that spot on that National Hockey League level and just kind of be like, my time in D.C. has been great, um, but it's time to move on and get that spotlight that, you know, is seemingly deserved? Nothing like putting me on the spot there, big yeah. boss. <laughs> by the way, oh, by the way, my contract just expired, so <laughs> I'm a free agent here. Go easy on me. And I, I, Maybe we turn DMV can sign you. <laughs> let's put it this way. When I was – from 05 to 10, working both sides of the street, if you will, the local regional side, NBC Sports Washington, and the national side with the NHL on Versus, that was my ideal. That was my cup of tea because I love it here. I don't, I'm not looking to run away from the Caps. I just want the opportunity to do more 
national network stuff that's league-wide generated all the way through the playoffs. So I was doing upwards of 90, 95 games in the preseason, in the regular season at that time. I would do close to 70 Caps gamers and another 25 regular season on versus. I'd be doing a game in San Jose on Monday night, red eye back to do the Caps on Tuesday night. That I wasn't afraid of that. I, I had that kind of freedom and I had the energy to do it. And both sides thought I had the talent to do it. So knock on wood, that was fun. Now, the hypothetical that you're suggesting would be that I would leave Washington to do just the national package in the way that Doc left the Devils to go just to the national side. Um, I would have to think about that, but it probably would not take me that long to make a decision on that, especially considering that I would have, what did you say, three years from now? I would have given almost 30 years to the job in Washington. I, I, would, I would have to listen to that opportunity, and I'd probably jump at it to take that national chance. Right. That's a hypothetical, though. Hypothetical. I'm not looking to run away. The best of both worlds is to be able to do both. Right. But if it's, if it's going to be incredibly to my benefit, it'd be hard for me to turn it down. Right. I mean, it's a lifelong dream of yours, obviously. Uh, that's why I'm putting you on the spot like that. But, I mean, I, I feel like anyone would take that opportunity at that point. If it's offered, but, um, then, yeah, I, I, I don't – I would have – more regrets if I was doing it after just one or two years. Oh, he's just, you know, he's just launching. He's just off right, a lily right, pad right. from one to the other. Right. After that much time, it would make it a very, very difficult decision, but the economics would play in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Definitely. You know, that sort of thing. If it would be, it would be very difficult to turn that down. Right. Um, so we're mentioning the uh, 2018 season and the playoff run. Um, it was a bit of a bumpy season, if to be quite honest, from what I remember. I mean, there were the trots rumors that they're like earlier in that season, and they they struggled at the beginning of the season. Then they pick it back up. Um, what was your thought on the team going into that playoff run? Uh, I mean, we had Holpe; he was struggling going into the playoffs. Grubauer is playing great. Obviously, there was that con the goalie controversy right there. Um, just take us what your feelings were going into that playoff run and how they were different from other playoff runs that we've had? Well, they win it all in 18. And in my opinion, they were a better team in 16 and 17. Right. I would agree. Could have easily, could have easily had a dynasty run there. Yep. But, but the 18 team, even though it wasn't talented as 16 or 17, in my humble opinion, figured out how to take a punch and overcome it. And keep figured out how to stay healthy at the right time. And also was really fortunate very lucky at yeah. the right times when all those heartbreaks in the past weren't necessarily as fortunate mm -hmm. there was great play in 2018 absolutely um you don't win a stanley cup without playing great but they stayed in relatively good health aside from nick's finger and they got the bounces you right. i think to game six in pittsburgh in round two in overtime kunakal hits the post yep in the past, that's off the post and in. Bye-bye, handshake. Good luck, Sid. We'll see you later. That didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and, and all of a sudden, um, in, go earlier in, that, in the first round series against Columbus. Down 0-2 after losing the first two in overtime. In game three in Columbus, Panarin hits the post late in regulation. Columbus was the better team in the first overtime of that double overtime game three. 
could have, would have, should have wins it. It's three zip. We're not having this discussion. They were really fortunate at the right time. And they came up large. They were clutch at the right time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this was all about luck. But for, you know, you, you mentioned Braden Holtby. Down the stretch, I, if I were Barry Trotz, I wouldn't have changed a thing. I still would have gone with Philip Grubauer in game agree. one. Was Philip horrible in the first two games? No. Was he as good as he was down the stretch? No. And that's when Braden goes in and may have been game three for Braden may have been the most pressure packed of any game in that entire playoff run. Yeah. When you really think about it, considering what would have happened if they fall behind and lose that game three, we're not having this discussion, but then he would build on it. He just got better and better and better. I love the way he played in game six and game seven of the Tampa Bay series. And for me, (laughs) I knew Washington was going to win the cup after they beat Tampa in game six at home. It's probably the best I've ever seen a Capitals team play in a crucial game in the 25 years that I've been here. The building was fantastic. Caps fans were unbelievable that night. And I've used this expression before. They played football on skates. They hit everything that moved. Ovechkin, Smith-Pelly, Orpik, Wilson. It was one bone-crunching hit after another. And when they beat the lightning in game six i want to say it was three zip i'm not sure what the final was may have been more than that may have been four um i was convinced they were going to win the cup i knew they would go and win game seven in tampa and i had disrespected vegas all season long so i knew they were going to steamroll them too but for me that run was all about can you take a good punch in the nose and show me that you're different than the other caps and they did it they were punched in the nose against Pittsburgh. They lost Wilson for three games. They yeah. lose Backstrom to an injury. Those are big punches in the nose, and they overcame it against their arch rival. That's when you had to know that something was different. For sure. Yeah, you also you mentioned the uh, the couple of posts that other teams hit. It's uh, <laughs> many like of them. other teams. <laughs> Why do yeah? It's like if one team if you hit the post in overtime, it's a death sentence. If the other team's going to come back and score almost like two minutes later. Uh, I mean, we've seen it. I, I feel like every other year it was us hitting the post, Pittsburgh coming down, scoring the, to win it, or the Rangers or, any, or anything like that. And you're right. I mean, the first two, se- first two series, they played well, but they, got, they did get all the bounce or not most of the bounces their way. But the best thing about that team, Alex, was there was never a, oh, woe is me, here we go again. Yeah. Never. They lost the first two games at home in overtime to Columbus. They never hung their heads. The 16, 17 team might have. I'm telling you, 16 and 17 played better during the regular season, may have been more talented, but they learned from those close losses to Pittsburgh. Ask any of the Penguins, ask any of the Penguins in 16 and 17, when they won back-to-back, what was the toughest series? Without a doubt, those Penguins will say against the Caps. Mm-hmm. Whoever won those series, was, in my opinion, was going to win the Cup. So if Washington had picked off one of those series against Pittsburgh, we'd be a two-time cup champion. If you picked them off both, in my opinion, you would have had a three-peat going. But it didn't happen. The only thing I will say is that they learned. They learned from it. And Barry Trotz, which you make a great point, Barry Trotz was almost out the door at the start of the 17-18 season. There were several times, candidly, guys, where he told me, I'm not sure if I'm getting on the plane tonight. He thought he was done for. And as it turns out, without a contract extension, and they've already extended Todd Reardon, which makes 
the coaching room amazed. How did these guys get along with each other? And then, oh, by the way, you're now a Stanley Cup champion, and now you hold all the leverage. That was an amazing twist of fate. All right, so that brings me to my next question. What was your favorite part of uh, the 2018 summer, I guess? What was your favorite memory or favorite moment of that 2018 summer? Uh, either yourself or, or if it was with the guys, uh, it, with OV and all of them. Uh, what, yeah, again. I've seen some videos. Right? You had some dinners, some drinks with the guys, having a good time. Oh, so it's, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great question. First of all, I'll tell you, I was not drunk when I was standing next to Jacob Vrana. <laughs> Most people think I'm out of my mind, but really it was the snake who was lost. I was just <laughs> trying to give himself some credit for a goal. He wanted me to call it, or he was going to call it for an Ovechkin goal. Jake, you're the man now. You can call your own goals. Here's the water. Uh, that was an unbelievable seven, eight, ten-day experience once they came back from Vegas and they were running the city streets phenomenally. But um, you ask a great question, and I will, I will, I'll limit it to my one experience with the team. No fans. Fans were downstairs surrounding uh, the restaurant. It was Cafe Milano. And it was one of the few times where the guys had the cup all by themselves, no fans. And Craig Lachlan and I, Craig could not be out in Vegas when uh, the team won the cup. So he was in D.C. doing studio coverage while I was out there with Tarek and uh, Alan May and Rob Carlin. So I hadn't seen Locker very much since the team had won the cup. We were out to dinner with his family. Courtney's fooling around on her phone and going, hey, the cup is at Cafe Milano. Let's go and see it. You know, that's a great idea. And off we went, and we're upstairs, and it's just the team and the cup and me and Locke. I will start the story by telling you I've been in the presence of the Stanley Cup hundreds of times. Never have I touched it. At my age, with my background, the only people who touch that cup are the people who win it. Right. That is the holy grail. And you're not worthy, Joe, but okay. Locker, about seven, eight, maybe, what is Locker? Maybe almost 10 years older than me. Same idea. And Locker competed for the Stanley Cup. He's a player. Never right. has he ever touched the cup, ever. We go upstairs, and the guys are happy as you know what. They're, they've been at this for a while, um, and they are feeling no pain. <laughs> we walk in. You know, we get a big ovation there. These guys, these are the Stanley Cup champions cheering for us. So that warms your heart right away. Joe, pick it up. John Carlson says this. I said, John, no, no, no. We're just here. We want to shake your hands. We want to congratulate you guys. We think this is phenomenal. So, so happy for you. Joe, pick it up. No, 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 no. I, I can't. Johnny, really. Thank you. Tom Wilson, pick it up. Right now. <laughs> Joe, pick it up. Alex Ovechkin, pick it up. No, 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 I can't, I can't. They all wanted us to pick it up. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting there. Now I'm totally conflicted. All of this I've been telling, I don't deserve to, I don't deserve to pick this up. You guys won it. You are the guys who bled for it. Not me. Pick it up, pick it up. And there's getting more and more animated. And I'm, I'm taking out words. Pick it the mm, up. Joe, pick it <laughs> yeah. blanking up. I'm like, okay. And I did. And wouldn't you know it, Locker did too. I can't believe it, but Locker did too. And nobody knows that except now you four and us and the team. But we had it, and um, 
Locker went over his head. I did not, I would yeah, not yeah. kiss it, but I, I went to about here with it. I just, I think it's a sacrilege to do this. If you're right. not a player, if you're not a player, you don't do that. That's the way, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. That's the way I was raised, guys. No, that's, all, was, that's awesome that you believe. That goes back, like that that goes back awesome. to the 90s when I first started in the, in the NHL. It goes back to the 80s when I did my first pro hockey. That Stanley Cup is the Stanley Cup. You don't go overhead unless you win it. So mm-hmm. I did bring it to here. And that was one of many great stories, but that's, that's my favorite. That's, it, yeah. it felt great. It, what was great was that the team wanted to include us. Yeah. yeah. There are times. They, and knew, I told you, they know what you're a part. In agony, while we were not calling game five, I was agonizing over that because you don't feel like you're part of it. Yeah. It was great that the players thought enough of us to say, hey, you know what? Pick it up. You deserve it. That, that, was, that was really humbling. Did you get a day with the cup or no? No. 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 no I will, my, other, my other favorite story is um, Dick Patrick, the longtime president of the Caps, I've known for 25, 26 years. But it's not like I spent a lot of time on the phone with Mr. Patrick. And I, I came home that summer, like an August day, and my um, answering machine's flashing. And I pushed the button. Joe, this is Dick Patrick. Give me a call. I'm like, oh, Jesus, am I fired? Am I gassed? What? You know, am, am I done? What did I do? And I call him up, and I'm shaking while I'm calling. He goes, Joe, I just wanted to let you know that you and Locker are getting the actual player ring. And um, I was blown away by that. That was fantastic. So they, we do have the actual team ring. But no, 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 no day with a cup. That's gotcha. team ring. That's that's a hell of a prize right there. And it's, um, oh yeah. Um, I kind of want to ask you about something that you mentioned last night on the the broadcast of the Caps' greatest hits, which is yeah. the first of five awesome series. I mean that '09 Game Seven game versus the Rangers was one of the greatest Caps games I think of all time, in my opinion. Still, um, you mentioned that Simmons was kind of a as a media member. You mentioned he was kind of a tough guy to figure out, uh, whether it was a language barrier, him being uncomfortable. That type of time, that type of thing. So I kind of want to ask you, I mean, over the years, who have been some of, like, the greatest players in terms of, like, building a personal relationship, the easiest guys to work with as a media member? I mean, after a tough loss, maybe some guys don't want to talk. And then, similarly to that, who's another guy outside of Simmons that's, you know, maybe been tough to kind of handle or kind of try to break open as a media member? I'm not going to go down that last road with you, but suffice it to say that uh, the four of us have spoken – more in these 45 minutes than I ever did to Alex Simmons oh, in, yeah. his total, in his total time here. Yeah. So Alex was a tough nut to crack in that sense, but all of his teammates say great things about it. And I will always say great things about his skill set. Uh, he's a more talented player than Alex Ovechkin. That's saying something. Yeah. He's more hand. talented. That player was more talented than Alex Ovechkin. I don't know that he had Alex Ovechkin's heart or drive or hustle or mind, but skill set. Alex Semin was one of the four or five most gifted players I think I've ever seen. But I could not get to know him because English was so foreign to him, and he didn't really make the effort, or or he pretended not to. See, like there's again, I don't want to go too far down this road, but this was this was a player who, what's the expression? It was really hard to get your arms around him. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted to. Right. There was a time when he was leading. There was a time when he was leading the league in points, and we yeah. really we really couldn't speak to him. That that's that's hard as a media member. Um, but like I said, and I'm not and I'm not saying he's a bad guy at all. Everybody says he's a great guy, so I will I will take your word for it. I could not get to know him well enough to give you that judgment. Everybody who did, 
inside those four walls in the dressing room, they all said great things. So, you know, Alex is, is an interesting, interesting question mark. I think I might have said he was, a, he was a puzzle. He was a tough puzzle to figure out. We've had so many great guys who are super, super cooperative. Um, you'll hear a couple of them on this uh, Greatest Hits series that we're doing on NBC Sports Washington. Ole Kolzig was a prince. I mean, and as a goalie, it's hard to, to catch up with those guys on the day of the game. Braden Holpe. Phenomenal. He'll talk to you on the day of a game. Somebody like Eddie Belfour, he'll cut your head off if you try to talk to him on the day of a game. Yep. So he, Eddie was terrific when I was trying to get background about a, about a Dallas game that I might have been doing, whether it be for Versus or for, uh, for NBC Sports Washington or what have you. He talked to you the day before the game. But the day of the game, he's breathing fire. Yep. You do not talk. And you learn that. You find out who you can talk to and who you, who you can't. Um, Ken Klee comes to mind as somebody who is just so good with the media. We have tons of Nick Backstrom. We have tons of guys who are incredibly good with the media. Brooks like was a media darling. Um, Matt, Matt Niskanen was incredible in difficult situations. Oh, sorry, Matt, you just lost in double overtime. He'd always be out there answering questions. Um, Some guys have a knack for doing that. Some guys like doing it. Um, some guys do it begrudgingly, but very, very few. I've been really fortunate in that sense. You know, we are conditioned as Caps fans, quote unquote, to dislike Sidney Crosby. I'm telling you, if you had the chance to sit with him, talk with him, work with him as I have both Caps Penguins and nationally on Versus, he's an amazingly good person and a phenomenal talent. But we're supposed to hate him because of the rivalry. Okay, I understand that. I'm here to tell you he's a tough guy to hate. Right. I don't, I don't like the whiny yippy Sid. I don't like that guy. <laughs> but I'm telling you he's way more than that. And yeah. we're, we're blessed in hockey. There are a lot of tremendously good guys. I think of the four major sports, I think it's, I'm safe in saying hockey players are much more down to earth uh, than okay. the rest. And I'm not, I'm not here to backhand the rest. I'm, I'm here to, to sing the praises of the hockey guys. They're incredible to work with. Mm-hmm. Right, so you've been around the game for a while and in this Caps franchise. What are maybe one or two guys with the Caps organization and then in the NHL as a whole that haven't got the opportunity to lift the cup that you would love to see lift the cup? Oh, wow. You know, I was trying hard to think about that the other day. And if memory serves, somebody like he, – he now prefers his pronunciation, Johansson. But Marcus Johansson, I would have loved to have seen celebrate with a cup. Uh, Mike Green. I would have loved to have seen celebrate with the Caps with the Cup. Another fantastic guy. He was so, so good about giving insight that I could use with Locker, with Allen, with Al Koken during the game. Greeny was phenomenal that way. Um, Brooks Light comes to mind. Oh, Troy boy. Brower, who's going to be on the, uh, the Greatest Hit series. Troy won a cup with Chicago, but it would have been great to see him win one uh, mm-hmm. with Washington. As good a public speaker as you're going to find. Carl Alsner always comes to mind. Carl, for so long, was joined at the hip with John Carlson right. from their days back together in Hershey. Carl didn't get a chance to win the cup. Those are, those are the ones that really bounce into my mind really, really fast. I would have loved to have seen Matt Bradley do it and David Steckel, sure. Um, you know, all those guys. Like that whole the 2010 so to 2014 teams, like pretty much all those guys. Oh, of course, retired yesterday. I like Alex, him. That, was, that was, guys, that was like traveling with a rock and roll band. <laughs> the team had so much fun. 
on yep. and off the ice. Please read between the lines, if you will. Yep. <laughs> but in 2010, they were so good, yep. but they weren't ready to win it all. They weren't. Mm. They didn't have the acumen to do it. Now the 15, 16, 17, 18 team, yeah, those, and now the, the 19 and 20 team, and that's why 19 pisses me off. Last year's <laughs> team was good enough to do it again, but was no. tired. Maybe you ran out of gas. Maybe didn't, I don't know, didn't respect the opposition enough. I'm telling you, fellows, we've been really fortunate. 16, 17, 18, 19 this year. Those five years, you could easily call the Caps a legitimate, not just a cup contender, but a legitimate one. And yeah, I'm forever grateful they picked off the one in 18. But I, if I was greedy, you should have a couple more. Yeah. You, really, you really could. If you're greedy, you think that way. I'm forever grateful for this group, for what they brought to the city, to see the city celebrate the way it did in 2018. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. I just hope and I want for them to do it again. I, I firmly believe the Ovechkin-Backstrom group, Holpe, Carlson, they should have one more kick at it, one more really good chance to do it. TJ Oshie, by the way, you ask about guys who are Jeez. incredible as far as dealing with the media. TJ may be your number one guy. He's way up there. Yeah. Right. Well, Joe, we'll start to wind it down here with the last kind of two or three questions or else we'll keep it here till midnight, which you probably don't want to do. <laughs> so I'll kick it over to AB for this one, and then we'll get into a, uh, like two or three quick rapid questions. To end it sure. Off. I was going to say that brings me into this next question of uh, this season, this, this past season that just happened. We don't – it's kind of up in the air, obviously, right now. What – Going into the playoffs this year, how what did you think of the team? I mean, earlier this season, we started off so hot. Well, actually, started off a little slow, but then November, December, we just kick it into high gear. Uh, it's it's like, oh, yeah, this team's another cup, cup to contending team once again. And then end of December, team slows down. The power play is just not working at all. Um, Holpe has an off month, month and a half picks it back up in February or after the all-star break, but the rest of the teams still didn't seem to get it together up until where we were, where we were at. How, what did you think of this team going into this playoffs? I think you've diagnosed it pretty well in that um, I'll take it one little step further though. Just my opinion. When they were beating the doors off of people early in the season, when their record was astronomical, when their road record was impeccable, I still don't think they were playing their best. I, still I think they actually agree. had one more gear to go to. And for the longest time, I actually thought that they were sort of outscoring their problems. You know, yeah. Braden's been good this year, no more than that. Mm -hmm. And I think he would admit that to you. And in the last six to eight weeks before the NHL hit that pause button, uh, whenever that was in, uh, after the Buffalo game in the second week of March, mm -hmm. the Caps were barely a 500 team. Right. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't like the way we were going down that stretch. But I will say this, this team is smart enough to almost coach itself. And this is not to take anything away from Todd Reardon or Lane Forsythe or anybody in the coaching staff at all, uh, Scotty Arneal and, and Reed Cashman, et cetera. This team's smart enough that it almost coaches itself. So I think we were starting to see that uptick so that if we actually did play the last two weeks, if we actually did play the last uh, – what was it, 13 games of the season, I think you would have seen the club start to ramp up towards round one. That's just my mm -hmm. opinion. And now who knows what to expect. 
if, first of all, we have to keep everybody as healthy and, and safe and sound as possible. If they're able to come back in June and July and hand out a cup in August or September, that's pie in the sky to me. I, I, first and foremost, you need to keep people healthy. Yeah, but if yeah. you're able to do that, who knows how they'll react to this long of a layoff? Who right. knows how teams that were badly injured have now all healed up? It's going to be an amazing race if they actually get to put the end of the season together to whatever degree, maybe four or five games, maybe all of it, who knows, and then whatever modified playoffs they're going to do. I don't know how to handicap it. I really don't. Yeah. Philadelphia was going so good when we stopped. I would have told you Philadelphia would have run over Pittsburgh and Philadelphia would have run over Washington in the playoffs in the Metro had we continued where we were. But all bets are off now. Right. All bets are off. I did not like the way they were playing late in the year. Nobody did. But I had a feeling that, you know what, they know when to ramp it back up. And I still do. And now, now who knows, though, after a month, two months off, who knows what to expect. Right. Like, when we were going into this stretch, I we were getting the goaltending back from Hopi a little bit. I thought he started playing well. I feel like our main issue was just the power play. I mean, we just couldn't get it going on the power play and in our own defensive end. But um, I mean, I think they're ranked. Now it's, I think they're ranked seventeenth on the power play. Yeah, it's, I think if yeah. you go to the stats, it's they're ranked. Everybody thinks they're a top five power play. They're not. They they haven't no, been. No, not They become way too predictable. But again, their skill set is so good. Go ahead. You are you going to take penalties against the Caps? You know, without without any punishment in the playoffs, you don't want to do that. They're too too highly skilled, and I always I still always think that there's an added wrinkle or two that they're withholding, that they, they want to save for key moments. Sure. So, like I said, we'll, we'll end it here. We'll each ask you one more kind of just, like, quick, rapid question. So, KP, you want to go yours first? Uh, yeah. So, when you're on the road, do you have, like, a routine uh, in each city, like your favorite restaurant in each place, something like that, or you kind of change it up? And then what is your favorite place to go to on the road? Okay, so favorite place literally to broadcast from. It's hard to beat um, – it's hard to beat Montreal Bell Center on a Saturday night on a hockey night in Canada. Oh. Biggest arena in the in the league. Very, very loud. Incredibly knowledgeable fan base. The sound system is amazing. That's a pretty, pretty good spot. I, I, I mean, aside from what goes on night after night at Capital One Arena, which is my favorite place to do a game, but uh, non-Washington, D.C. would have to be uh, in Montreal. There are a lot of different nice spots to work from, from a broadcast booth perspective. I always love doing games in Boston. Uh, I love doing games in Vegas. The atmosphere is incredible. Um, but as far as routine is concerned, we pretty much have the same day-to-day routine. Uh, 7.30 a.m., ripping through about 50 pages of stats that come in from Elias. About 9 o'clock, I'm on the radio uh, either doing isolated hits here in D.C. or around the country or maybe with the team that we're playing. 10 o'clock, I'm on a bus going to the uh, practice rink. 11 o'clock after watching both teams work out, you're in the dressing room, you're talking to players, you're talking to coaches, you're getting as many notes as possible, things that you might be able to add into the broadcast that night. Uh, You get back to the hotel, it's lunchtime. You get back home, it's lunchtime. I try to find an hour in the gym somewhere in there between 1.30 and 2.30. You're back on the bus at 4. You're at the arena at 4.30. You're in the truck at 5. You're working through tapes. You're rehearsing through some things. 5.30, 5.30, you're looking at elements with locker. 6 o'clock, you're taping stuff. 6.45, you're on the air technically on tape. 7 right. o'clock, you're into the game. 
Seven o'clock goes to 9.30. 9.30, the game's over. You do a few more tapes. If you're on the road, you're getting on the bus, you're going to the airport, you're going to the next city. Um, we, have a, we have a pretty full itinerary. It never stops. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so my question for you is, so you and Locker have a pretty good relationship, obviously. It's almost like a brother-brother relationship. Um, and you can almost see it on the air sometimes when it's a little friendly bickering. Is that, is that always happening on and off the air? Uh, A.B., he and his family have treated me like family for 25 years almost. Yeah. And ever since I've known them, they've been wonderful to me. So what you see on the air is honest and genuine. Yeah. And if you think about it, Locker and I have seen just about every evolution of, of the Caps. We've <laughs> seen them be lottery pick worthy, and we've seen them be dominant Stanley Cup champions. And if you go back to the year, I don't know, pick one, 99, 2000, right around when Yager was there or a little bit before, those, those teams were dreadful. You know, they were 20 and 30 games below 500 at times. So Craig and I needed to be a little bit more, shall we say, entertaining to yeah. hopefully keep your interest. Right. We never want to have a laugh fest, yuck, yuck riot that's going to take away from the play. The play is what matters most. But if we can make you laugh two or three times a night, then we're, in our minds, doing our jobs properly. It should never take away from the broadcast. The bickering is, again, it's done to try and, and for you guys to recognize it, for the fans to recognize it. That's great. That's exactly what we're trying to do. But we don't ever want it to supersede a great Peter Bonder breakaway goal or a oh, great um, you know, effort by Mike Gartner back in the day. Never is it to take away from that it's always an accent as a play-by-play -play guy i consider myself like an accent piece of furniture you're not the dominant piece of furniture in the room but you're the one who puts it all together you're the traffic cop you're right. the seamstress you're knitting it together mm -hmm. so last one here uh, and then we'll let you go so another hypothetical we're going to throw at you kind of a brain buster hopefully if you could think of one game or maybe one athlete and put yourself in the booth no matter what time in history like you know, the Maripon Ice, maybe an NBA Finals game where Jordan goes for like 65. Is there one game or athlete at any time period that you would want to be in the booth and to call that? Uh, I'll give you a two-prong answer. Okay. So with regard to athlete, I'm around hockey players all the time. I think that collective group, I think they are the best athletes. When you factor in balance, they're doing everything on razor blades. So they're fast, they're strong, and they're incredibly agile and balanced. I think they are, as a group, the best athletes collectively. The best athlete I've ever seen, witnessed in person, uh, is Vincent Bo Jackson. Nothing, nothing that I've ever seen, even though Bo doesn't know hockey, <laughs> Bo doesn't know how to skate, from a pure speed, power, athleticism, I've never seen an athlete better than Bo Jackson and be an all-star at both baseball and uh, football. I witnessed Bo Jackson hit a home run off of Dennis Oil Can Boyd at Fenway Park that I insist is still going. I've never seen a ball hit that far. I've never heard the sound of the crack of a bat like that ever. I mean, he, he was, in my opinion, superhuman. One episode that I wish that I could have been there 
So, you know, let's go all the way back full circle. Um, let's go back full circle to where we started about an hour ago. I mentioned to you, my dad was a New York Rangers season ticket holder, a uh, New York Ranger fire, a uh, New York city firefighter for 35 years. It would have been pretty cool to have broadcast the 1994 Ranger game seven cup win over Vancouver, mm-hmm. just to blend in all of those, you know, childhood memories and the electricity of that building. Cause if you, when you see it on NHL network at that time, there was a national broadcast and a local broadcast. So what I was lamenting didn't happen in Vegas was still happening at that time. So the Rangers TV announced crew was there as well as the national crews from Canada and from the United States to have had that opportunity. That would have been pretty amazing. Mm. I mean, short of telling you about June 7th, 2018, that's gotta be the first one. Right. Right. Knowing, knowing what you now know about me as being connected to the caps for as long as I was and have been sure June 7th, 2018. Right. I would have wanted to have been there. But you take me back in history, I, that 94 experience at Madison Square, Square Garden would have been spine-tingling. That would have been amazing on a lot of levels. Well, there it is, Joe B. We are extremely appreciative of your time and talking with us for an hour plus now. We greatly appreciate it, the stories, getting to talk to you, and I really hope you are back in my living room here soon enough. Yeah, let's, let's keep our fingers crossed. And in the meantime... Um, thank you for inviting me. I really enjoyed the conversation and please do uh, stay well and stay healthy. Yep. Same to you and your family. Stay healthy, stay safe. And we'll uh, hopefully chat soon. And like I said, hear you soon. All right, guys, we now welcome on a goaltender here in the Capitals organization, currently playing for our Hershey Bears. Backup goalie last year behind Brayden Holpe coming in, winning 17 games in that Caps uniform. Guys, Phoenix Copley, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, we appreciate you taking the time. So we'll kind of just start with something kind of weird. So per Wikipedia, you were born in the North Pole of Alaska. Yeah. So tell us about that. Is that the real North Pole? And then secondly, kind of <laughs> how do you get into hockey? Uh, what was your first memory of the sport, either playing it or watching it or going to a game? Or Yeah, so I was uh, technically born in Fairbanks, Alaska. My parents lived in North Pole, which is about uh, 20 minutes from Fairbanks. Uh, it's two, about 2,000 people live there. Fairbanks has around 70,000, so a little bit bigger city. Um, and then when I was a year old, my family moved to uh, outside of Columbus, Ohio. So my actually first hockey memories were in Columbus, Ohio, watching uh, the Columbus Chill play and uh, Ohio University Bobcats. I think oh, yeah. their D3 team. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the, my first exposure to hockey. And me and my brother would go to games and we'd be all fired up and uh, go home and, and play hockey in the living room. And um, those are really my first memories of hockey. And then I moved back to North Pole when I was eight years old. Okay. So why the, why the move back to it? Um, well, my parents were getting a divorce and that was kind of what, what was going on. And uh, me and my brother ended up going to Alaska with my mom. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I think it was seven and a half or eight at that gotcha. time. Gotcha. And so yeah, I was, and then um, I was in Alaska from then on. Nice. So did you, uh, did you always want to play goalie or did you start out as a skater transition to goalie? How was that? Uh, at first I was, a, I was a forward and then my brother's older than me. And when we were playing, he, he would always tell me to get in that and I'd be the one who'd be shooting on and 
yep. first I was just kind of doing it and then I'd still be a forward. And then as time went on, I kind of started to like it. And then I remember asking my parents for a set of pads. And, um, and when I got those, I kind of fell in love with it and uh, didn't look back. For sure. So a lot of people take different career paths to the <laughs> NHL. I mean, yours was kind of, you did, I think you did three or four different junior teams and you did the two years in college kind of take us through you know your journey once you got to that level of going through junior and college why did you go to the teams you did why did you you know want to go the junior route and then straight to the college route instead of you know a lot of people like to go play in Canada major juniors or something like that yeah so when I was 17 I went to California to play um, midget hockey minor hockey in California just to try and get a little bit more exposure um, and then while I was there actually I had didn't end up playing as many games as I wanted to. So I was kind of, uh, didn't work out as well as I would want it to. And then the year after that, the Corpus Christi ice rays were joining the North American hockey league, a tier two junior league. And, um, and I saw that they were having a tryout and I was like, this could be a good opportunity to, to move up. And they're kind of going to have a whole new team and there's going to be some goalie spots open. So me and my brother both went to that tryout and we both ended up making the team and it was kind of kind of crazy. They were transitioning from a from the CHL, so they were a pro organization. They were transitioning to junior, so going there it was a little bit of a different year. Um, it was a it was a good organization. They they ran things like a pro team, but I think they were transitioning as well. So it was uh, we didn't <laughs> didn't have a great team that year, but uh, I got to play a lot of games and felt like it really helped my development and. Uh, I got to getting to play with my brother obviously helped as well there. So yeah, that seems pretty cool getting to play with him. That's kind yeah. of interesting. You mentioned that cause you talked about how he would make you throw the pads on how, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you're pretty similar in age if you're playing juniors together, but how much did you guys, were you guys always on the same team growing up until that point? Yeah. We, I, so yeah, I have two brothers, one stepbrother and one, um, one brother Navarone. Um, and so we, uh, we, we, I was either on one of their two teams gotcha. my whole life growing up since I started playing competitively. And then that season in Corpus Christi, my brother actually got cut in, I think, December or January. And so that was the first time I wasn't playing with one of my two brothers was midway through that season. So oh, I was, wow. that was kind of like, kind of difficult at first. Cause I mean, like after games and whatever would happen, I, I would always have one of those two guys to talk to and kind of like hash things over with. And then after they that, calm you down at times. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> sure. Um, but then after that, it was like, I was on my own and like, I would like, I had to kind of figure things out on my own at right. that point. So I found that kind of challenging. And I remember at one point I just, I, I it was just kind of, it was hard to, to deal with. Like if I was having a bad game or having a tough stretch, like not having one of those two guys to talk to and, so I talked to the, both of them a lot on the phone. I think that helped. And I think at the end of the day, it was the best thing for me to kind of uh, develop, you know, like go through some struggles on my own and, and learn how to deal with them. And uh, I think it really helped me at the end of the day. But Yeah, it gets you comfortable with like uncomfortable situation type thing. For sure, yeah. Yeah, nice. so um, so I think at the end of the day, that, that actually really helped me yeah. um, with, with, with him getting released. It, but it, it did really suck. For sure, I can feel that. So – and then the college route. So why Michigan Tech over? I mean, did you have other offers? Did you have schools to choose between? Or was Michigan Tech kind of like one team that was there willing to give you a shot? Yeah, so I played in the USHL the next year. And I think as kind of as soon as you get to the USHL, colleges really start to 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 just like send you messages and call you. And 
and everything. And because I had talked to a couple in when I was in the North American League, but it really there were it wasn't a whole lot of interest. But as soon as I uh, started playing games in the USHL, there was a, started to be a lot of interest. And um, so I, I mean, I talked to quite a few schools, and I narrowed it down to three. I think it was UMass, Ohio State, and Michigan Tech. And Michigan Tech was the first one I had on my list to visit. And I went there, and it's in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and uh, it's a really cool area, kind of kind of remote, but a lot of outdoor stuff, waterfalls, and um, they had a really good coaching staff. And uh, Steve Shields was the goalie coach at the time there, and so I was like, they obviously have a really good education system, but the hockey program there was really good as well. And the two things I wanted were a good education and a chance to move on in hockey. And Michigan Tech. Uh, covered both those boxes and so I after I visited I was thinking about it and I was like you know what I don't know if I'm going to find a, a better opportunity to be coached by a former NHL goalie who who really knows his stuff and, and he had worked with Mitch Korn and he had always spoken highly of Mitch Korn and I, I was thinking like obviously Mitch Korn's best goalie coach in the game and so I wanted to learn from someone who had learned from Mitch and um, so at Michigan Tech I was like you know what I'm, I don't think I'm going to find anything better so after thinking about that for a little bit, um, then they had offered me uh, a scholarship. So I, I was like, you know, what, this is going to be this is a good fit for me. So I, I went in and I'm, and I'm happy I did that. That was a was a good place. So you want, you go undrafted. Was that because you went kind of the college route, or was that kind of a shock to you, um, or did you know at some point that you were? Did you know that you were just not going to get drafted, but you may have been signed later to an NHL team or? Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't really think about the draft at all. I knew, um, you know, it's it's tough to get drafted, and I, I didn't really have, like, scouts talking to me a whole lot at, at that time. And so um, I wasn't surprised at all that I wasn't drafted. I would have been really surprised if I was drafted, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I just – I didn't really have scouts talking to me, so I was just like – you know, I just – I knew it was going to be a different route for me to get to the NHL, and so I just kind of knew I was going to have to – kind of, I guess, come in the back door and, and work my way through the ranks. And that was kind of the way I saw myself getting there. And that's how, that's how I went through it. Sure. And then the Caps reach out, they give you an opportunity. You spend your first full season, your first full pro season, I should say, in Hershey. And that was a hell of a year. I mean, you went 17 games. You post, it was like a 925 save percentage. It's, it's one of your career best. And then, boom, the year after that, you get traded to the Blues in that Oshie and Brower trade where you just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> how did that whole situation go down? Because you had a really good first year right there in Hershey. Yeah, yeah, we had a really good team, and and that was a that was a fun year, and that was a that was another that was a great year for me to uh, develop, and um, uh, yeah, and then after that season, you know, I when, when I was I was really early on in my pro career, so you, you don't really think about the business side of it and the and the trade aspect of it. I, I signed a two year deal, and I thought I was going to be in the Capitals organization for two years, and so that's kind of where my head was at, and then. Um, so I was in Alaska in the summer and I uh, went on a, a four day float down a river where I, we don't even bring our phones cause we don't have service. So, um, I think it was Thursday morning that trade happened and that was the day we left. So I didn't have my phone. <laughs> we were on the river floating and camping and fishing. And, uh, so I had no clue when it, it happened until Sunday we got back, uh, got back in the trucks and started driving and, as soon as we got, there's like a little mountain range we go over. And as soon as we got to the top of that, my phone just started buzzing nonstop. And I, it was like messages were popping up and missed calls. And I was like, something happened here. And so 
and I eventually found out I had, uh, <laughs> I was traded and, uh, somehow Mitch Korn had gotten a hold of my mom at home. I don't know how he had my home right. phone number, but she told him that I was going to be out of service for four days. So he kind of told everyone, but at first, uh, yeah, both GMs had called me and all the, the Mitch and the goalie coaches had called me and I had no clue that I was traded. It was kind of phones a, just on silent or off and they're just like what yeah. What the hell is he doing is he ghosting <laughs> us he knows I imagine he knows they're trading him yeah i imagine they're kind of confused but um yeah it was uh kind of a funny story but yeah when i found out i was like really like wow i had no clue that that was a possibility but but then i was like i was excited like you know i, I loved being a part of the organization but um then i was, I was excited to see another organization and um go try and uh, work my way up in that organization and um, I mean, it was, it was exciting. It's, it sounds like you're, you have a bit of a relationship with Mitch Corner. Do you still like talk to him this day? Are you trying to talk to him every day or what, what's your relationship with him? I, mean, I don't talk to him every day, although, you know, sometimes that <laughs> might be helpful, but yeah, I, I still, we, we keep in touch and uh, whenever we're able to, we talk and, um, and yeah, he's, he's a great coach and, I, and he's always a good mind to pick if, if you have questions about goaltending, cause he's uh he definitely has some answers and he's been around the game a long time and he's always, he's always thinking about hockey and, and how to make goalies better. So he's, he's a great hockey mind. Yeah, for sure. And kind of building off that real quick. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. He's one of the best goalie coach ever. It's been known throughout the NHL. I feel like, I mean, what, what, what is the biggest difference in him and every other goalie coach that kind of puts him to that next level above and beyond the rest? Um. Well, I mean, he's, he's really obsessed with hockey and, the best way possible like he he all he does is he eats sleeps and breathes hockey and goaltending and that's that's just what he does and um so he's been and I imagine that's probably how he's been his whole life that's how he's been since I've known him and I think that's what sets him apart is he just he focuses on hockey and he focuses on how to make goalies better and um and if if you're a goalie that he's trying to make better he puts his in, the energy into you and helps find solutions to problems and he tries to make you the best goalie that you can be rather than kind of having a cookie cutter style of coaching. He, he works with the goalie themselves. And um, he's, he's just, I think the, the time he puts into the game and the focus he puts in is what sets him apart. Sure. KP. So um, jumping back, I guess, to the, you're back to your career here. You played, I guess, a season and a half with St. Louis and then right back to DC. Were you happy in that moment? You're coming back to DC or did you kind of like think you found the niche with the blues there? I honestly, I was, I was really excited. I was familiar with, uh, all like the, the coaching staff had, was pretty much the same. Like in Hershey it was all the same, a lot of the same players. And, um, Scott, uh, Murray was still the goalie coach in Hershey who was the goalie coach previously in, in Hershey when I was there. So it, like, it was, it seemed like, uh, you know, it was just, I was pretty excited. Cause like I said, I knew everybody and it wasn't going to be a difficult transition, like going into the blues organization. I don't think I knew anybody. So it was, everyone was new. It was a completely new, new situation where when I was coming back, it was kind of the opposite where I knew pretty much everybody and was familiar with both uh, the Capitals and, and Hershey. So it was, uh, it was kind of, it was easy. And I was, I was really excited to, to get back. It felt like, um, you know, Hershey and, and Washington had always treated me really well. So it was very exciting. So I kind of want to talk about that 18, 19 season last season with your, uh, with the Caps. Your kind of first full season in the NHL as a backup role. You start 24 games, playing 27, 16 wins under your belt, including six straight in that February-March run right there. I mean, hell of a season as a backup role. Uh, what 
what really went right for you and what was working so well for you in that, in that span? Well, I mean, first of all, it was a great team. It was a really fun team to be a part of that, that core group they have up there is uh, they make things really fun and, and they love playing together. So it just kind of, uh, kind of just wears off on everybody that it, it's uh, it was just a, a good team to be around. And, um, and then working with Scott Murray, he's a, another great goalie coach. Uh, I felt like throughout the playoffs when I was black acing, I got to work with him a lot. And then obviously I was familiar with him from before, but getting that chance to spend the extra two and a half months with him on the ice, I think really helped me kind of prepare me for my first full season in the NHL. And, um, and then they just kind of, I, I think, Having that that preparation is kind of what helped uh, make my transition to my first full year uh, smoother, and that led to more success for me. So your uh, your first NHL shutout was a thirty five game perform or uh, thirty five save effort in Ottawa. I mean, did you think you played any different that game? Was it like you were in the same mentality going through the whole game, or how was your head during that? Um, I mean, it's it's kind of. You know, I, I think most goalies would agree. I mean, you don't know when you're going to get a shutout. That's always the goal. You don't want to, you know, you're out there not to give up goals and to give the team the best chance to win. So you never know when it's going to happen. And um, it was the game before Christmas, so maybe maybe it had a little Christmas luck yeah, with me. Go. But uh, <laughs> I, know no, I, I don't know. Christmas I mean, it, it definitely like I felt good out there, and it was it was a fun game to be a part of, and it was awesome to to get my first shutout. Yeah, that's that North Pole luck rubbing off on you that game before <laughs> <Yeah>. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Not bouncing off that, like, what – you think, like, getting shelled a little early, like getting those first couple of saves, does that help you out or do you ease your way into a game? Like, I know that, I know most goalies that, like, we talk to, like, they say, like, if they get, like, three or four scoring opportunities that they jump in front of right away, then they're into the game, like, immediately. But if they're – if it's slow action, then sometimes yeah. they're off of it. It definitely helps, like – like getting a nice sweat in early and seeing the puck early it's it makes it a challenge if if you don't see the see a shot for you know 10 or 12 minutes to start the game it's you're just kind of standing there and waiting around it makes it a little bit more difficult than if you're getting shots right away and kind of finding a, a rhythm early gotcha so you were talking about black acing we had walks on the other week and uh, we asked him the same question take us through that game five in vegas there because i'm interested to hear from your perspective i mean the whole ordeal because I mean you guys were in the press box I mean he said once I believe Devo scored you guys rushed down started getting dressed and started getting ready just in case because you never know in that situation when it's a cup clinching game uh, how did you guys decide when to go down and just kind of take us to that experience of getting dressed real quick hoping that we would score that fourth goal and then obviously the <laughs> after party on the ice and lifting the cup for the first time and everything yeah it was pretty surreal and it was it's a pretty big blur I mean it was a really close game so we were we were kind of on the fence of like when we should start getting our gear on and we don't want to obviously have our gear on. And then if it's going to overtime, we're kind of scrambling, hiding and whatnot. So we were just kind of down there, like, like trying to decide when we should get our gear on. And uh, I mean, it <laughs> was, you're a it goalie. Was, you got a ton of shit to put on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, I mean, we had to try and time it right, but it was, I mean, you could kind of feel it like the, the we had the momentum and, and uh, it just seemed like, like, they weren't going to lose. So we were, uh, we, but yeah, we were just, we were excited. And like I said, it was it's just kind of a blur thinking back. It was so much excitement. And, um, and then obviously when it happened and getting to be there and go on the ice, uh, felt very fortunate to be a part of that. And um, it, it was awesome just seeing what that team had gone through and 
and how much each of those guys loved playing together and being around that whole that whole uh, run was was amazing. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that was a blur because when we asked Walker that question, he had no idea who scored the third goal. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. I mean, we were, it was it was crazy. It was. He was, was like, "Who tied it again?" We're like, uh, "Devo." Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was mayhem. It was it was wild and it was fun. You got any fun stories from that night? Yeah, because you guys um, stayed out in Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I mean, not off the top of my head. It, it was a wild night, though. I mean, it was just, it was, it was crazy. It couldn't happen in a, in a better spot. And obviously, like, it's kind of a, a dream come true. But, man, it, it was it was fun. And like I said, I feel very fortunate to be a part of that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a great time. And then, I mean, you talk about that crazy night. You win a Stanley Cup, not, and you win it in fucking Vegas, of all places. <laughs> Uh, and then you guys fly back. Talk about the week after you guys won. I mean, it looked like the shit show just continued after that. I mean, everyone everyone see, has seen all the videos of jumping into the uh, Georgetown fountain and all that. Um, do you have any, like, specific memories from that week after? It was just – it was amazing how much support the team had. It seemed like everywhere we were going, it was just like everything was capitals. Everything was – Yep. It was, it, I mean, it was just amazing to be around that, that whole, the, how the whole city went crazy. And, um, and yeah, the, the, the team, I think, like I was saying, those guys love to play together so much. I think that's kind of, you know, what led into the celebration. Everyone, it was just, it was a really tight knit team and, and being around that and seeing that was, was pretty incredible. And um, I think, you know, Obi had waited a long time to celebrate like that. So he, mm -hmm. he really uh, took advantage of, of that. And <laughs> it was awesome to see that. For sure. So did you get a day with the cup? No. No. Uh, if you did, how would you have spent it? Or where would you have taken it? Uh, probably North Pole. Probably would have went to North Pole and uh, let my friends and family uh, get to see it up close. And um, that's, that's still what I want to do uh, in the future. That's, that's my plan is just, like, I would let my, my friends and family get to uh, experience that. And because, and, uh, you know, they, they, especially my family has put a lot into traveling when i was younger my parents and so kind of getting to repay them would be great for sure so i kind of want to take it off topic for a minute a picture i saw on your instagram was halloween a couple years back dresses mcgregor <laughs> i i mean I, I i spent some time working at, with the ufc uh, a few years back so i'm a big mcgregor nut hugger myself is he are you a big ufc guy i see your favorite fighter i mean how much I enjoy, you yeah, I enjoy watching ufc uh actually conor mcgregor kind of kind of got me into watching it uh I think four or five years ago, one of right. his early fights when he won and he just had the swagger and, and all the confidence in the world. And I was like, wow, that guy is fun to watch. And so I just kind of, obviously he's, he's had a, uh, he's a lot of people started watching UFC because of him. Obviously right. he's got the charisma. Um, but yeah, so I, that's kind of what got me into it. And I, and so now I, now I like watching it. It's a, I find it a fun sport to watch and really entertaining. So any other, definitely. any other fighters you like to watch specifically? I like uh, Jorge Masvidal. He's oh, fun yeah. to watch. Uh, Nate Diaz as well. I like like he's I like his attitude. He's just the got... cocky, the, the cocky bastards. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> the guys that talk shit and then yeah. back it up. Masvidal, he's a bad motherfucker too. Yeah, well, he won the BMF belt. Yeah, yeah, he. Yeah, he's, a lot of these guys are crazy though. They're just like, it's crazy with the stuff they put their bodies through with the weight weight cuts and and that stuff's insane. And then they go and fight the next night. It's it's right. wild. You ever seen one in person? No, I will actually, when I was in, when I was in uh, Nebraska playing in the USHL, we, we went to, uh, it wasn't UFC. It was like some sort of like 
some promotion just had like it was a uh, MMA or strike force or something. Yeah, I don't remember which one, but uh, it was like just some sort of MMA promotion that did one in our rink, and we all went as a team and watched it. It was it was mostly just like local people from Nebraska or the Midwest that were fighting. But at that time, I wasn't as into it, so I probably didn't like enjoy it as much as I would have now. But um, it's it's crazy, like, like just watching two guys go to war. It's very, yeah, uh, <laughs> it's like medieval. It's a little nuts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe. Here at the, at those places are, are insane too. Like just outside of the ring, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. That's when a, like people get in fights outside, like when Connor <laughs> and Khabib fight. Like Russians yeah. and Irish people are just beating the shit out of each other in the stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like even like I feel like watching it on TV. Like, like there's like so much energy. Like you, it's hard not yeah. to get into a fight when you're watching it on TV. Yeah. Can't imagine what it'd be like in like uh, Vegas or. Some mm-hmm. big arena. You know, I've never. We saw one in DC. I've, yeah, I've, we went to the one in DC. Oh, oh yeah. He works for UFC up in Vegas, so he's probably been to a million fights over there. I don't know about you, you Billman. Have you? Uh, probably about fifteen, twenty in person. And yeah, they were in DC. What was it? That last summer, yeah. or like last winter-ish? Maybe it was like six months ago. Maybe. Yeah. Right there at Capital One. That was my first time, but it was it was a good time. Cool. But um, jumping back to hockey, um. The season was different, obviously. Uh, the AHL canceled the rest of their season. I mean, now we just kind of heard the news today, what's what's going to happen, I guess. And they've put the first steps into motion. Have the Caps, like, reached out to you at all yet? Um, are you Have you been staying in game shape and stuff like that? Because, I mean, I know the AHL is done, but I'm assuming you might be black acing again uh, if, uh, if there's an injury that happens during the playoff run. Yeah, they, they told me to be ready to black ace and – so I've been kind of doing workouts here, doing uh, home workouts, and I have some some uh, dumbbell sets that, that I've been doing. It's, it is kind of weird without access to a gym, but um, kind of had to get creative. And um, so, yeah, I've just been doing workouts here and staying as, as ready as I can. And um, Rocky Balboa trainings. What's that? Rocky Balboa trainings. Yeah. yeah. Doing the old, well, I've uh, seen some pictures that you put up. You were on some rollerblades there. Have you been doing any training, like, uh, goalie-wise with the blades? Uh, I actually drew a crease and tried to see how that would go, but it's, it's very different. It's right. like, there's a lot of stopping and, and shuffling. And, <laughs> and so it, that was, that was very different, but I did uh, draw a crease on the asphalt out fireplace and just kind of for fun. But, um, no, I, I've, I've rollerbladed and biked quite a bit more just to kind of keep the cardio in shape. But, right. um, at, at the same time, it, it's, I kind of want to, let my body rest as well. It's uh, the season is long, and even though it got cut short, it's I feel like it's beneficial to let the body recover a little bit and and be ready for uh, when the season restarts. Now, would you say there's more of a chance that it would help or hurt? Because, like you said, beneficial rest, recovery, but you're getting out of game shape. I mean, going back to the UFC, ring rust. You don't mm-hmm. fight for a while, you you kind of get that ring rust. I mean, do you see it to be more beneficial getting the rest over you know staying in game situations? I think there's a happy medium. I think, um, you know, at, at a certain point, it it can it takes a while to get back into game shape, no matter what you do, because because playing is different than any workout that you would do. Being on the ice and being in in games and in practices is different than any kind of workout that you do, no matter what you do. So um, there's always there's always rust if you're off the ice for a certain amount of time, uh, no matter what. So I think. Uh, I mean, like I said, I think there's a happy medium. It's it's tough to say whether it would be more beneficial or less beneficial, but I think 
Um, it certainly would be nice to be able to skate a little bit more, but at the same time, everyone's kind of in the same situation. So um, just kind of, kind of do what you can to, to stay, give yourself the best opportunity for if and when the, if and when we can skate again. For sure. So uh, kind of building off that and staying in game shape. I mean, there's no doubt that this is a massive off season for this franchise. I mean, there's a thought around here that obviously that Hopi is gone. All eyes are going to be on Samsonov, but also that he may not be ready for that workload that we've seen, you know, Hopi playing 50 to 60 games a year over the past few years. So kind of getting to my point here is, is there's going to be that opening on the Caps roster for that main backup uh, spot. And you go back to you, your time as a backup here, that season you had was incredible as a backup. Like we said, it was like 26 games, 17 wins, six in a row. I mean, are you going to approach this offseason any differently than you may have other offseasons in the past, knowing that, you know, you're probably fighting for that spot right there? Um, well, let me, first of all, my mindset is that, that I want to be in the NHL. I want to be on an opening night roster right. come next season. So um, whether or not that's any different than any other, other season, that's always my goal. Um, but I'm certainly very hungry for, for that spot and I'm going to do everything I can to, to have that spot. So, um, I don't know. I, I feel like that's what I go into every year, but I'm very motivated right now for that spot. So I'm definitely going to uh, do everything I can to be on that, on that roster. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember you coming up, you kind of, like we said, came out of nowhere, you got signed, we're in Hershey and then boom, you get that backup job. And I was like, Holy shit. This guy's winning some games for us. That's what you like to see. <laughs> you love a good goalie that's going to come in and win big, win big games and, you know, relieve that stress. And, yeah, like you said, I feel like that's the mindset you have to have is you're always competing for an NHL spot, so it shouldn't be any different. So, A.B., go ahead. Well, the other thing to bounce off that is how important it is for that one-two punch in, in the NHL now. I mean, it seems like all the successful teams right now, they have a one-two punch in net and – uh, I mean, yeah, like we said, like hope we don't know what Holpe's deal is. Um, so I mean, you'll slide up right at, right there, and we've seen su some success with you and Samsonov. I mean, we've always had great goaltending. It feels like for these past like five years. Yeah, yeah, it's it is important to have two good goalies, and um, and it's and at the NHL that's where everyone wants to be. So there's always competition, and there's always guys fighting to to be in that spot. So it's highly competitive, and it's. Uh, I think it, it helps bring out the best in everyone and all the goalies because um, you have to put forth your best in order to get those spots. So um, I look forward to the challenges and I think, I think uh, any athlete uh, is very excited to, to compete like that and, um, and high stakes are, are what brings out the best in everyone. So we'll, we'll start to wrap it up here with some quick fire type questions here. Um, I'll start with uh, what's the toughest part, I guess, about being a goalie and living that goalie career, I guess. Toughest part. Because yeah. we're all skaters. Um, I mean, I played goalie when I was like eight, but couldn't tell you past then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, toughest part about being a goalie. Uh, a lot of the off-ice stuff, like anything on – I like I love being on the ice, but anything that, that off, off the ice and um, that doesn't have to do with hockey is mm -hmm. kind of what, what, what I don't like. I, I, anything about being on the ice is what I love. So any of the, the talk or the political side of the game uh, – not a big fan of. Yeah. Gotcha. So another goalie question. I mean, goalies have always been known as the kind of the weird cats on the team, the strange dudes in the corner <laughs> almost. Uh, what would you say is the weirdest thing about you or that you do when it comes to preparing or playing for a game that will kind of fit that goalie mentality or that goalie persona? Um, I mean, I'm pretty quiet. I, I kind of keep to myself. I, 
I I don't know. Like that'd probably be a better question for someone else because I just kind of like I'm just focusing on on my job and maybe people would say it like uh, that I'm so quiet. Maybe I don't know, but I'm kind of just focusing on on my job and getting myself into a mindset to perform at the highest level. So I I would say maybe it's maybe it's weird that I'm more quiet, but uh, other than that, I just kind of keep to myself. Are coaches coming up and talking to you before before the games, or are they just like let's leave him alone, let let him let him do what he does? I think it's different. Like so, some coaches have like pre scouts for other teams' best players, like kind of where they're shooting or yeah. um or like their tendencies on break breakaways. But and then some coaches just kind of leave you leave you alone. So it's, I think it's kind of different. That's kind of based on the coach. Gotcha. KPAB, you got anything else? Well, I got one. I, do you Good, want, do you do you like being a backup, or would you rather get that starting role? Because personally, I too much pressure. Too much. <laughs> man. No, I I I want I want to play all the games. I want to play as many as possible. Right. I'd be um, like being the backup quarterback, getting paid to do absolutely nothing. This is awesome. That's yeah. Cool. Yeah. What's that guy on Blue Mountain State, Alex? Yeah. Yeah, yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> or like a punter in the nfl like you don't have the stress of kicking field goals but just kick the damn thing down the field at least 25 yards you know, yeah. like getting paid a hundred thousand dollars do absolutely nothing <laughs> <laughs> no I, I i like playing games i, I want to be the guy who plays who the coach goes to and they need a win that, that's that's my dream uh, to do at the highest level what's the pressure <laughs> nice kp um my last one so when you're not playing hockey, what are, what is like what are you doing off the ice on your free time? Um, I started playing guitar uh, a couple of years ago, so I've been playing a little bit of guitar. In the summers, I like to spend some time outside uh, with my dog and girlfriend. I like to go hiking and do a little fishing, do a little camping. Um, so yeah, I'd say like spending time outdoors playing guitar. Are you usually back in Alaska during the off seasons? Yeah, yeah. Usually I go okay. back to Alaska. Nice. But have you ever seen that Alaskan Bush People show? That's a cool show. Yeah, that's nuts. It. It's it's kind of tough to watch because I feel like a lot of it is like is very dramatized. So very played out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but uh, people always ask me that. They ask me uh, if I've seen that show. Sure. So last one. We're coming to the end here. It seems like hopefully of this stay at home with this quarantine order. Uh, so how have you passed the time? Have you been watching any good shows on Netflix? Watching movies? Like you said, you said you picked up the guitar. So I'm sure you've been practicing. But how have you been really passing the time? The keep yourself from getting crazy bored actually uh i'm getting towards the end of the last dance documentary and that's been oh, so good so it's good. been unbelievable and I've, we've, I've been really excited about watching that every night so don't know what i'm going to do in that one i'm done watching that but that's been definitely the best thing i've watched You're this whole time that before games That'll get you <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah every time i'm done watching i'm like just ready to go it gets me Fired up. you'll binge watch it and then you'll love it so much you walk into the caps locker room with the cigar yeah. in your mouth, just like, like what the hell are you doing dude he's like fucking jordan did it <laughs> that guy's got rings yeah yeah it's that's unreal he's, it's awesome like seeing what that guy there's how he handles himself and the amount of confidence he has it's crazy sure so that's all we got between us copley guys we appreciate you coming on man it's been a pleasure and we're looking forward to you and you're the rest of your career here in washington and uh hoping to see you in that cap jersey next year Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. We now welcome on a special guest, first Australian to play in the NHL, get a point in the NHL, play in the playoffs, and win a Stanley Cup. A guy who spent six years here, part of this Capitals organization with the Caps, Bears, and even the Stingrays for a little bit. 
Uh, now in the Blues organization, the 2018 Stanley Cup champion, Nathan Walker. Man, what's going on? Welcome. Hey, not much. How are you guys doing? Good. Not too bad. So early morning for you. Uh, not really late night for us, but yeah, the whole time, Denver's are down in Australia right now, like I said. Uh, how is everything going down there with you guys right now uh, compared to, I guess, here? Um, yeah, I mean, it's getting pretty good here. Um, they're talking about opening up bars and restaurants the next week or so. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the Aussies have been doing the right thing. Um, there's obviously been those few that are, you know, breaking the law or whatever, breaking the rules. But for the most part, uh, most people keep their distance, and most people have been staying inside, which is pretty good. Good, yeah, yes, I think it's the quickest way to get us back to normal and get us all being able to go back to bars and <laughs> have a good time. Sure. Yeah, get back to hockey. Thing, yeah. They're opening beaches up already over here. They're starting to open beaches up, so we'll see. We'll see if there's oh, like really? a wave or something. Yeah. Isn't so, the East Coast pretty bad though? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> so I don't know great, why. But nobody's listening. Yeah. I don't know no, why no, the beach is up, but I mean, I America. guess it, it's yeah. probably more for Memorial Day coming up. They're just opening it up for the season so they can make their money. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yep. Yeah, fair enough. So let's kind of get into some hockey here. Let's just kind of go from the start here. I mean, born in Wales, you moved to Australia when you're two. I mean, they put it quite bluntly. I mean, how the hell do you get into hockey? Where do you find a stick? I mean, how do you get started in that sport? Um... Oh, it's just a weird coincidence that my brother and I one day just kind of went to one of the local rinks here and um, we just saw some kids playing hockey and, you know, instantly we just thought we wanted to do that and I just kind of kicked off from there. Um, we both fell in love with the sport and um, my brother and I both played for a while and then I eventually moved to the Czech Republic and then uh, over to North America. Yeah, so um, I saw that you, you mentioned uh, the Czech Republic there. Is that where you played for your U14, U16 years? Uh, yeah, yeah, Australia. I left, uh, I would have left Czech when I was probably like 18 or so, 18, 19. Okay, so I saw that you were just absolutely body bagging your 14, you 16 years. Uh, 77 goals, 25 assists, 102 points in 14 games for a U14 season, and 69 Oh, back home in Australia. <laughs> oh, that was in Australia? That was back home in Australia, yeah. If that was in Czech, I might have been drafted a bit earlier, but no, that was <laughs> I mean, absolutely yeah. body bagging this, these guys, huh? Yeah, that was um, that was back home. But I would have been, I would have been maybe like twelve or thirteen or so playing in the under sixteens, I think, or the under eighteen, something like that. And, you were um, and that was that was like one of the last years where I was like, you know, if you really want to try and make a, you know, make a career out of it and try to go somewhere with hockey, then you probably got to get overseas. Um, but yeah, I remember those years. They were funny. I think I'd play rugby in the morning. Um, Saturday, Sunday morning rugby, and then I'd head over and play three games of hockey, whether it be under 13s and then 16s and then 18s, all in the same night, three games in a row. And then, uh, yeah, eventually playing U20s, I think I, was what I read, but I don't know if that's accurate or not. But absolutely. Yeah, I honestly, I can't remember. I'd, I'd have to look at all the, uh, the old school <laughs> stat facts. <laughs> so, so why Czech Republic? I mean, you pretty much played a majority of your career there before coming to North America? I mean, was it kind of the, one of the leagues that gave you an opportunity, but like why check over say like Sweden or one of the other European countries? Yeah, good question. Um, there was a Slovakian, a Slovakian coach here that coached us in the state team. Um, and he had a couple contacts in that organization there in Czech. So he pretty much set up a tryout for me. Um, went there, had a week to, you know, practice with the team and kind of see what I, you know, what I could bring and everything. And, they were happy enough and they signed me up and then, you know, I stayed there for five years or so. Okay. So um, what was your first hockey experience in North America? Uh, 
I actually came and played inline hockey in the Can-Am Cup in, uh, it was in Ontario. I would have been, I would have been eight years old. Uh, that was the first time I went over there to play hockey. Uh, we play, I played an inline tournament. I, uh, I managed to get on with a team called the Chatham Rolling Cobras. Mm-hmm. And um, I played there for the weekend and played with them. And then, um, yeah, it would have been eight or so, but that was the first time I played hockey in, in North America. And it was so, actually for a North American team as well. Did you start off as an inline player or did you start as an ice hockey player? An inline player. Yeah, I started skating in, on inline skates when I would have been two or three, like just before, just after I walked. Yeah, that's how we got started here in uh, Maryland, the Maryland area. We just started in, on rollerblades, basically playing outside. And then there was a, actually yeah. an inline roller rink that we all just started a hockey league there. And that's how we got started. Yeah, there's a, those, it used to be really big back home. Um, there used to be full-on leagues and big tournaments and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, there's so many rinks have just been demolished just because of the governments, you know, right. saying they're not bringing enough money and all that kind of shit. So, you still um, play in the summers? No, I've I've wanted to. There's there in there's the World Inline Tournament that's usually around uh, end of May or so. I think it is. Um, yep. I've always wanted to go. I've never really pulled the trigger to do it. Um, but I mean, I, I got inline skates. I usually hop on them in the summer and do workouts and everything. But it's a bit hard to get ice every day here. Right. So I usually yep. grab the inline skates, head down to the little netball courts, and skate the lines. I get some weird looks, but oh, well, there's what it is. That's for sure. So let's kind of take it right to 2014. I mean. Round three, 89th pick overall by the Caps organization. Kind of take us through that experience for you. I mean, you get drafted in the NHL. I mean, first Australian to do so. I mean, what, what did that mean to you? I mean, and kind of take us through it. Yeah, that was huge. Um, I mean, obviously, two years before that was my actual draft year. And, um, you know, there's some pretty positive feedback about, you know, teams are pretty interested and, and all that kind of good shit and saying, you know, it's, it's looking positive and everything. So, um, you know, I really thought that was going to be the year, right. right? So yeah, once that didn't happen, I was like, oh shit, here we go. I'm going to have to go <laughs> to school right now and all this stuff, get a proper job and everything. Um, but yeah, then the next year rolled around and nothing really happened again. And I was like, yeah, all right, here we go. So then, uh, I think the year before, um, after that second year, I went back to check, but then went over to, um, after that, sorry, after that second year, I went to Caps camp. Um, and then ended up playing well enough in camp to get a, a deal with Hershey that first year. And then uh, after that first year, that summer in 2014, um, I was just talking to my agent and he seemed pretty confident that someone was going to take me after playing in the NHL already for a season. And um, Yeah, sure enough, the, you know, my name popped up and we're actually watching it on a live stream. And uh, for some reason, the connection wasn't the best. So it kind of buffered. It'd, you know, do a, a few picks and it would stop. And then all of a sudden it'd be another 20 picks later and it would have, it would have been done. So I think it went to the 83rd pick or something. Um, and then it kind of stopped. The stream stopped for a bit. And the next pick that we saw was like the 93rd or 94th or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we don't get great reception um, on the mobiles down home. So I didn't really get any messages then either. And then sure enough, the TV came back on and we, we saw my name and we were just going ape shit. It was insane. We, we, we were... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't know what to think, but it was um, it was pretty cool. That's yeah, it's kind of crazy. So the first few years, I guess, go by, and you're kind of thinking, well, fuck, I guess I'm stuck. Not really stuck. I mean, you're like, oh, I guess I'll go play the the European professional hockey route instead of getting that crack at the NHL. And then, boom, uh, the Caps. You do, like I said, you do that good camp. Was there a specific team that you kind of would have been happy that you got drafted to, or 
a favorite team you had kind of growing up or were you just happy with any team that was going to take you? I mean, you're obviously happy with any team that, um, you know, was going to take you, but I think the Caps organization was, you know, they're top notch and to be drafted to a team like that with, you know, for them to have uh, myself and their mindsets at that time with the team that they had and the team that they were going to have for the next few years, I think, um, you know, that's, that's a pretty big honor, I think, to be drafted, um, especially when they got guys you know, like Ovi and Beck and Kuzi and all that in the yeah. system. And, um, yeah, no, that was, that was really pretty special for myself. So, so you spent a majority uh, of your time in Hershey in the AHL. I'd kind of talk about that organization and, you know, spending the time there. Yeah, it's great. Um, I mean, when when I went there, Doug Yings was still there, and I remember chatting to him, and um, this is when there was only 30 teams in NHL still, and he was saying, yeah, it's a great organization. This is like the 31st NHL team. And this was the first conversation I had with him, and he was saying that. And um, I think from then on, you kind, of feel, you kind of get that feeling that, you know, they want to make it feel like a, an NHL locker room and an NHL vibe and an NHL, you know, the way they take care of you. And um, you know, Hershey's a top-notch organization. I think it feeds off um, Washington as well. I think they're both, are, you know, they're both great organizations and they work really well with each other. Go ahead, A.B. Uh, well, I was actually going to ask before that, did you, as a kid growing up, did you watch the NHL at all? Or was, was there, were you um, able to watch the NHL? I mean, when, when we went over to North America for tournaments and whatnot, we would grab all the DVDs, you know, Wayne Gretzky, the great one, and the next ones, the, mm-hmm. all the Stanley Cup videos. We'd grab them, we'd bring them home and watch them. But as for games on TV, um, there wasn't a lot on. It's slowly getting a little bit better now. They're probably airing about three or four games a week, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, but when I was younger, when I was in my early teens, there wasn't much on TV in regards to hockey. No, like live hockey or anything like that is what you're meaning? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no live yeah. hockey at all, yeah. Um, jumping back to Hershey real quick, uh, something fun. Did you have a favorite ride in the amusement park? Did they – I mean, I'm sure they had you guys out there. Did you guys go and, like, go out there at all, enjoy it, or how was that? Yeah, definitely. We actually did um, – we did a few appearances every year, which is pretty nice. So I'd always sign up for those ones. Um, but, I mean, there's a couple of roller coasters that, you know, make you shit your pants a little bit. But the, the – um, <laughs> The uh, I think it's I can't remember the name of it, but it's the big yellow one. It's the one you see pretty much when you drive up to Hershey. But um, yeah, that one's probably the best one. Now, have you ever played for? Did you ever it, play in the? Uh... For like Go Team ahead, Australia, Phil. or is there like been an Australian team that you've played for? Like, I actually got to put that Team Australia jersey on. Um. Yeah, I played played for Australia twice. Um, in ice hockey, and then a few times in inline hockey as well. Um. When ice hockey we played, when we played, it would have been 2000 and, oh boy, it's gone back a bit, 2012 maybe? <laughs> right. 2012 or 2013, we played actually in Melbourne. Um, there was a brand new rink they built here and we hosted it. Um, we we're fortunate enough to win, I think it was Division Division 2B or something. So it's what uh, it is. <laughs> When's a win? We, yeah, it is what it is. We're slowly working our way up, um, slowly but surely. But um, the next year we got promoted to Division one b i think or something like that and this is when like games were slowly becoming like televised with poland and like netherlands and everything like that and uh obviously some of the guys playing back home with it you know you don't get that exposure where you see the big tv trucks outside and everything so that was a really cool experience for i think for a lot of the guys going into that but we got absolutely pumped um (laughs) yeah i know it's uh it's kind of tough here to the the Australian Ice Hockey Association, we have to pay our own way to play 
um, in those national tournaments. So obviously it's tough to get the best players you can get for every tournament because, you know, whether they have holidays booked or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's kind of tough to put our best team together, which is, which is sad because I right. think we could really compete with that. Um, we could really teeter-totter between that division one, um, you know, and those, those lower tier European teams, but um, it is what it is. I mean, it's, I can't see Australian hockey getting uh, that much better quickly. Um, obviously given the climate and the, the popularity of the sport, it's, it's not up there, but it's slowly getting a little bit better, which is good. Sure. Maybe. So you are, um, I mean, just to be perfectly blunt about it, you're a smaller guy in the NHL. Uh, has your game, how has your game changed in terms of moving from the Czech League to the NHL to the AHL? Have you had to adjust your style of play from each league to the next? Um, or basically making a lineup, going from one lineup to the other? How, how would you say your game has changed? Um, I mean, obviously the European game is a little bit different than the North American game. So I think once I transitions over from that I had to you know it took me a while to figure that out and um you know kind of go from there but as as for the NHL lineup to the AHL lineup um you know being playing the AHL for a while now you get that a little bit more of a I don't want to say a little bit more of a leash but you do have that little bit more of a leniency where if you were to make a mistake you know it's not the end of the world but obviously in the NHL you're trying so hard to stay in that lineup and play so well that you don't want to make any mistakes so I think um Right. You know, the, in the NHL, things matter a little. Uh, I, I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't say they matter a bit more, but they, they just have that little bit more of an effect if you do things wrong. There's probably more of a consequence than there would be in the AHL. Right. The little details yeah, are so important. That's it. Yeah, yeah for sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, kind of jumping off from your style of game, uh, a clip that I, I love from, uh, I think it was preseason, we were playing the Montreal Canadiens, and uh, somebody hits one of our defensemen, Hobbs. I think it was Andrew Shaw. Something happened with him yeah. and Beagle and you earlier in the shift. What was going through your mind going up to a guy like Andrew Shaw and kind of grabbing him to defend one of your boys? <laughs> well, uh, I, I've known Hobbsy for a while now, and then obviously when it, whenever someone on your team you know, gets hurt or gets you know a bad hit taken, you know taking a bad hit. You always want to do something, whether it's, you know, fight the guy or let him know you're coming after him, kind of something like that. And um, I didn't actually see the hit, but I heard it. And then I looked over and I saw Hobbsy laying on the ice. So he knew, obviously, that it probably wasn't the best of hits. Um, right. So I skated over to Shaw. And, you know, obviously, one thing led to another. I knew probably what was going to happen after that. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he's obviously been around the block. He knows what's going on. He knows how to handle himself. <laughs> and right. I, um, I'm just glad I didn't take one to the bloody temple. But other than that, it was, it was all right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it looked like you held your own there from what from what I saw. He got he got a couple of cheap ones I saw from the back overreaching, but uh, you did good. Yeah, especially <laughs> yeah, against a crowd mid fight too, I think. <laughs> especially against a little rat like Andrew Shaw, everyone wants to see that guy get beat up. Right, but um, yeah. Okay, on to, sure, the 20, yeah. <laughs> on to the twenty seventeen twenty eighteen season, uh, your place on waivers by the Caps, picked up by Edmonton, placed back onto waivers and picked up by the Caps. Just talk about, like, how much of a roller coaster that season that was. I mean, then obviously we know what happens at the end of that season. But just, yeah, just talk about that entire season as a whole for your career and how much you had to travel. Yeah, I mean, you start from October 4, I think, was the beginning of the season to, you know, June – June 20th or whenever it was when we finished um 
you know, you, I, I made the team and you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, this is unreal. I'm an NHLer. Um, I've done it. I've made it. You know, you get your first couple of games and then you're slowly figuring out what it really takes to become an NHLer. It's not just making the overnight roster. It's not playing a few games. It's, it's doing it night in and night out. And that was the biggest thing for me, you know, thinking, all right, I'm here to holy shit. I have right. to play way better in order to stay in this lineup. Right. Um, and then, yeah, I got picked off for waivers with Edmonton and figured, you know, it's a new start and kind of go from there. And things didn't pan out as well. Um, but, I mean, just that the stress of having a move. And I had a car in D.C. Um, you know, my wife was there with me. We had so much stuff. We had to pack so much stuff. Actually sold my car. Um, sold my car when we went to Edmonton. So then mm-hmm. in Edmonton, we got a rental car and had that for the two, three weeks I was there. And then came back to D.C. and totally forgot that I sold the car and was like, holy shit, well, now I've got nothing to ride around in. Tried to, call the same fuck, tried to call the same fucking guy back and buy it from him? Yeah, well, the payment just went through like two days friggin' earlier as well. <laughs> oh, wow. So I was like, fuck, I should have just held the payment off and just bloody left the car there. But, um, so, yeah, I had to deal with that. That, that, was, that wasn't that big of an issue, um, you know, the whole the car thing. But it was a bit of a roller coaster going from, you know, starting off in the NHL and then, um, obviously getting, getting, you know, I don't want to say tossed around, but thrown to, you know, Edmonton and then back and, um, then down to Hershey and, um, finishing the season out in Hershey and then coming back up and, um, uh, doing what we did in the, in the playoffs with the Caps, you know, that was just such a roller coaster that whole season, but it was, it was unreal. It was, you know, obviously the best experiences of my life and, um, you know, hopefully there's more to come of that, and, but we'll, we'll see how we go. Yes, speaking of kind of the highest of highs, I mean, most people's, I mean, most NHL players, first playoff game is, you know, round one, game one. Yours is game six, elimination game on the road, Pittsburgh, a team we can never fucking beat, it seems like. I mean, you get tossed in the lineup due to some injuries. Uh, what, what's your emotion going into that game? I mean, how did you mentally prepare for that? Were you a little nervous? Uh, I mean, and how did the team also change their game plan around, you know, the guys like you that they had to bring up, fill in the voids? Yeah, um, to be honest, I didn't really know I was playing until, um, you know, the, the day of the game, we walked in, had pregame skate, my name was on there to, to play, but I figured one of the, one of the, like, I figured Backy was, was going to play, um, just because, you know, the warrior he is, you, you'd think he, you know, he, he would play, and obviously it was an injury where he couldn't, um, so come game time, you know, I, I prepared like I would for a normal game, but come game time, and I'm, my name's still up there and he's not playing. I'm thinking, holy fuck, all right, here we go. I haven't played a game in friggin', <laughs> I don't know, however long it would have been, a month and a half or so. I've just been eating and working out, not really doing a whole lot. Um, but yeah, I just kind of went about business as usual. Um, obviously, the business was a lot higher stakes than usual, but it was, uh, it was good. I mean, the guys on that team were so good about it and just, you know, whether it was Brooksy or you know, Carly or O or anyone coming up to me and you know, just saying it's okay, like, just play, you know, don't worry about it, just don't have the whole stigma of the, you know, game six elimination with the Pittsburgh thing, just, just go play, um, and I think hearing that from guys like that definitely helped me, and um, I know Boyder as well, we, we were both kind of, after the game, we were both kind of looking at each other laughing, just thinking, you know, what just happened, we just played in our first NHL playoff game, and um, it was unreal, it was such an unreal feeling, and um, yeah, I mean, hopefully, hopefully there's more playoff games to come. Yeah, so for it's, I mean, that's probably one of the biggest games in Washington Capitals history. Your first playoff game, and you have one of the clutchest plays in the entire playoffs. Puck is chipped into left, uh, on the left wall. 
you win the race, take it down, uh, give a nice pass out to Alex Chazon. Uh, just take us through that play, like how it kind of developed for you and like what was going through your mind. Yeah. Um, I think Beegs and I switched. Uh, I think I ended up in the middle on the, on the regroup. And uh, so he was on the, he was on the uh, left wing boards. So his stick would have been towards the boards. Um, I mean, that's a pretty simple play that we would do all the time in the caps. It would go from the D to D up to the boards. Uh, you chip it in, you grab it, you wheel behind the net, and then you look for options. So it was a, it was a play that you, we would do every day and, you know, whether it was breaking out of the puck or anything like that, um, just something so simple. And then, you know, like you said, it turns into be one of the, one of the biggest goals in Caps history. But, um, yeah, it just went D to D up to uh, – I think Brooksy passed it up to Beegs and Beegs just kind of chipped it into that uh, hash mark area. And I was, you know, fortunate enough to beat that guy and grab the puck, go behind the net. And, um, yeah, I mean, Chase had a, had a wicked shot. That short side shot was unreal. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was insane. When that happened, you know, I, I think a little bit of pressure came off just, you know, knowing what game we were in and everything. And I think uh, it was a lot easier to play after that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of talk us through what it was like being um, a guy that was trying to get into the lineup during that 2018 playoff series. Like, what happens when you didn't get into a game? Were you guys all watching the game together? I mean, I'm sure they put you up in a box. Like, what, what was that like? And what was going through your mind during that whole run? It was unreal. I mean, whenever you get to watch NHL playoff games live, it's pretty sick. Um, so, yeah, we, we were fortunate enough to get a box, I think, most games. And uh, you just see so much more up there. And the intensity that the guys bring in playoffs is insane. It's I, I've never been to an NHL live playoff game um, before that year. And uh, it's, it's crazy just how much more, uh, you know, just how much more drive it kind of, you can feel the players, the crowd, the coaches, the refs, everyone's just giving it that much more. It's, it's crazy. You can really tell the energy in the building is just insane. Well, did yeah. you get to interact with the players like during the periods as well? Or did you guys just kind of like go off during the game and then come back at the end? Yeah, we, we, we wouldn't go down there for the periods. Um, we'd okay. kind of stay out of the locker room and, you know, we didn't want to distract the guys and we didn't want to distract anyone and be in anyone's way. So, um, you know, we, we would just hang out in the box or hang out, you know, in, in a room somewhere and um, just go down when the game's done. So kind of speaking off of that, I mean, game five in Vegas, you know, the cup clincher, you guys are in the press box. When, when do you decide, like, is it after Lars scores? Like, fuck, we got to get down to the locker room. we got to get our gear on and get ready to go on the ice. I mean, take us through that. Did you guys, like, was it as soon as that goal went in, you guys just bolted down there and started throwing your shit on? Or how'd that all play out? Yeah, I think, um, I think once Devo scored, because Devo scored to make it 3-3, right? Yeah, Devo scores. And then, yeah, Lars gets the winner with, like, seven minutes left. Yeah, so Devo scored. And we're like, all right, well, we got to get somewhat dressed. Otherwise, if this goes into – you know, there's a minute left and we're not dressed, like, fuck. So we, we, um, we got, like, half-dressed and then Lars scored and we were just going nuts. We're in the locker room by then. Um, we're just going absolutely bananas. So we, we got fully dressed and then, sure enough, we were waiting in the tunnel with a couple minutes left and all that. And, uh, yeah, that was insane. That whole, that whole little part was just so cool and so crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're on the ice, you get to lift a cup. Uh, that's got to be a hell of a moment for you. And uh, so thanks for picking up the cup for the first time. And then also what you do or you maybe don't remember from that night partying out in Vegas like you guys did. <laughs> um, I mean, as a, as a kid, you know, whether you're in North America or Australia, I think lifting that Stanley Cup over your head is definitely one of the biggest things you could probably do in your hockey career. And, um you know, granted, I didn't play all the games and everything, but I, I still felt a part of that whole experience. And, um, 
you know, I obviously didn't go through what all those players went through. I can't put myself in those shoes. But I think just to be on the ice with them and have that opportunity to experience that with them was, was insane. And to lift that cup was just, um, you know, you, you dream of it your whole life. And that was just, that was, that was incredible. Yeah, for sure. And then building yeah, off I mean, that, go ahead, AB. Uh, I was I was just gonna say I mean you, definitely you were a part of it I and mean, you were made one of the biggest like we said earlier we meant to play earlier you made one of the biggest plays and probably the biggest game to get over that Pittsburgh Penguins hump that the Caps just seem to just can't be able to get over until that game. But, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, um, I definitely I definitely felt a part of it. Don't don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I definitely did. But you just I don't know. It's hard to explain. I guess when you. I don't know. It's tough to explain, but I definitely did feel a part of it. But obviously, you, yeah. I wasn't in the the mix. I guess um, for sure. you know, the blood, sweat, and tears really. I guess part of it. <laughs> so after the party in Vegas, uh, you you win the Stanley Cup. You party in Vegas. You get back home. Uh, next is the parade. Talk about the parade a little bit. Like how is that? What you, what time did you guys start getting ready for the parade? And then how how that whole experience was just riding through DC. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. That many people wearing the red jerseys was just insane. Yeah. The double decker box buses were sick. It was. Um, I didn't. I didn't expect it to be like that. I knew it was going to be a really big, really big parade, but that was just so cool and just it was insane. Like all, all of that's something I'll cherish forever and remember forever. And um, when you know your name gets called on that stage and you actually go out and you're the only one on that stage and you're looking at it, you know, however many people, however many thousands of people, um, that's insane. And that was incredible. And I'll, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. So talking about like good memories and all, I mean, before the parade, you guys went on that, that bender, it was kind of a shit show that entire week through DC. I mean, what were your favorite moments about that? Just going around bar hopping, uh, like who was the drunkest guy on the team throughout that whole escapade? You think? <laughs> um, I mean, that was sick too. It was a bunch of bars and, <laughs> I mean, obviously, it was all pretty public. Um, everyone kind of knew, yeah. but I think everyone was pretty pretty good at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't single anyone. I think everyone right. kind of partied to the max. And, you know, I, as, as they were in their ride, too, they just won the cup. So I think uh, I think everyone had a really good time with it, with it all. He, he right. didn't want to single Jacob Vrana out, but I think I, Vrana had, had to win, right? He was the drunkest. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I don't know. There was there was probably a few more guys, but uh, I mean, getting the tattoo with the sleeve know. all the way up. <laughs> oh, that was yeah, that was hilarious. Um, I actually asked him about that. He said he was trying to show his other tattoo off as well, but I'm I'm I don't okay. <laughs> Nope. So um, I mean, I, obviously, you got did you get a date with the cup? I didn't know, unfortunately. You did not. No, that that would have been that would have been unreal. But um, no, unfortunately, I didn't. If, did any of the guys invite you to any of their parties? Like, did you get that summer? Like, I guess after the parade and all that, did you have interaction with the cup still, or was that kind of? Um, I didn't know, so I came back home to Australia. Um, actually, okay. Chandler Stevenson invited me to go to his cup day. Um, I think I would have just gotten to DC when he had it, so I was in North America. But um, I didn't. I didn't go over. There. I didn't want to take that away from him. You know, that was his time and his day, but, um, you know, he was, he was kind enough and nice enough to, to invite me there. But, um, I mean, him and I, him and I are really good buddies. So that, you know, I would have been pissed off if he didn't. So if you had yeah, your no, day, he, he invited me. would you have brought it back to Australia and just kind of done your day there? 
I think so. Yeah. Um, I think it would have been really special for all the, you know, all the kids that are, might sound horrible, but they'll probably never get a chance to see it. Right. Um, which, you know, which is sad. So that would have been, that would have been really cool to bring it back here and, and, you know, take it to the rink and take it to my hockey shop that I go to all the time and have the kids come there and raise some money for, you know, whether it would be gear for kids and or kids that have a tough time getting gear who, um, it would have been good, but, uh, yeah, no, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully I just got to win it again and bring it back. <laughs> um, so you said you went back to Australia during that time. How often do you go back to Australia and what do you train there? What is, what is your kind of training situation like there? Yeah, whenever the season's done, um, my wife and I head back. Well, now we have a daughter, so it makes it a little bit more tougher. But um, we, we head back um, and then usually here till late August or so and then head back overseas. But um, I just train here by myself, whether it's at the gym or I'm in the midst of trying to do a home reno, so hopefully I can get a gym in there, and that way I can uh, stay at home a bit more, spend some more time with the family, and um, just kind of see how that goes. Is uh, And I guess one other thing I want to add to that being, is roller hockey big in Australia? Do you see a lot of people playing out there on the streets? Uh, it seems like to be, with the social uh, media, it's kind of growing, but how is it down there? Yeah, I mean, it's slowly... It used to be really big here. Um, I want to say maybe 15, 20 years ago, it used to be really big. And then, um, like I was saying to you guys before, the, the governments, I think, kind of came in and, and demolished a lot of the rinks because they, you know, whether they weren't making money or the insurance money was a bit expensive or whatnot. Um, but yeah, ice hockey kind of took off then. And I think now inline's slowly coming back, but uh, it's not where it was before. But hopefully, hopefully one day it can be. All right. Sure. So. Now that we're on to the Australian questions, I got – this is a, kind of an off-the-wall question here. If you could compare your game to an animal, what animal would that be? <laughs> uh, does it have to be an Australian one? No, it doesn't have to be an animal. I don't know. I've actually – I've never really seen a honey badger, but people keep <laughs> calling me, and I'm not quite uh, sure what it is. Did you just just start YouTube and honey badger versus uh, like snake fights, and I think you'll get the idea. Little scrappy bastards. Oh, okay. I, I looked up some Australian animals. I said maybe a Tasmanian devil. Oh yeah. Oh, I love the Tas. <laughs> I think they're extinct now. <laughs> oh, are they? If you're not extinct, come on, Tasmanian man. Tasmanian devils. What else? What else is there? What other animals? There's obviously like a bunch of shitload of snakes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what what's the what's the wildest animal we've ever seen out there? Oh, I've seen a few snakes, um, whether I've been bush riding or whatever on the bike, a couple of brown snakes. I think if they, they bite you, you're, you're dead within, you know, 20 minutes or so. Yeah. Plus, yeah. So I guess building off KP's question and AB's question, would it be tougher to fight a Roo or Andrew Shaw? Oh, a kangaroo, I think. AB? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Those yeah, things kick you as well. They stand on their tails and kick you. I was going to say, yeah, they got some Australia? crazy boxing videos yeah, online. They have the wildest animals. Yeah, oh yeah. Dangerous animals. What's that? So Australia has like the most dangerous animals in the world, don't they? Oh yeah. Oh fuck yeah. I mean, if you get bitten by anything here, you got to get checked out. Yeah. There's probably <laughs> new species of animal here that no one knows about either. Some sort of hybrid. <laughs> Just lurking yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. AB. Um. So do you, did you watch soccer at all as a kid? Um, not a whole lot. I was more into rugby. I played rugby when I was younger. My old man played rugby, so I just kind of 
you know, followed him, I guess, played rugby. And um, I wasn't into soccer that much. I would, uh, you know, I, I like watching the highlights, the way they curve the ball and shit. That's, that's unreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for watching the whole game itself, I'm not that into it, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I watch, watch a bunch of rugby. Yeah, I saw that your, your older brother played rugby too, right? Or is he yeah, I think he just brother? played in school, just school rugby. Gotcha. So we kind of talked about it before we started recording, but, you know, during this pandemic and all, what are you kind of doing to, you know, keep yourself busy and kind of kind of stay occupied? I know I know you got the young daughter and all of that. I'm sure that's <laughs> keeping your hands full, but are you watching any shows? I mean, <laughs> we talked about Chris Lilly and his, his funny shit that's always on HBO. But, uh, yeah, what are you doing to stay busy? Um. I mean, obviously, obviously, my daughter's keeping me busy. Um, you know, that's a that's a good good twenty hours out of the day. Um, but no, I'm I'm working out, trying to stay a little bit fit. Uh, obviously, coming into summer now, I'm you know I'm going to take a bit of a break off and take a step away from it all and um, spend some time with the family, enjoy that side of things. Obviously, it's a bit tough with what's going on in the world right now, but um, I think Australia's been doing pretty well at it. So they're thinking of easing some of the restrictions, which would be nice. You can finally go out and get. Some uh, some friggin' avocado toast, which I've been craving. And a nice <laughs> coffee. The uh, the breakfast and coffee here is unreal. It's top notch. It's got to be the best in the world for sure. Uh, Australian um, breakfast is the best in the world. I mean, oh, what I, is it? Is this just the avocado toast and coffee, or is there anything special about it? Oh, it's just the way it's made. I think it's made with just <laughs> pure love. You know, it's unreal. But it's uh, <laughs> it's really good. So you, I mean, usually when my my wife and I come home, we do we do a breakfast every morning out. Um, for the first two weeks or so so we've actually saved some money which is nice um but i mean coffee's here like five bucks each too so that's that's a, a shitload of money over the course of a few weeks <laughs> yeah for sure so breakfast down on the put it on the bucket list uh last question for me i don't know if the guys have any more but um you're with the blues organization now uh i believe their hl team was that san antonio or the yeah. rampage or i believe they just got bought right yeah they got bought by, uh, by vegas, vegas i want to say so what is your current situation then uh do you guys stay with that team but i mean but you have a contract with the blues i mean how does that do you have any idea of how that's how that's i gonna think play out? um i think the farm team has moved to springfield okay gotcha so yeah the so the singlest farm team will be in springfield now and then i think vegas bought san antonio so that team will then be in wherever vegas puts them gotcha kpab got anything else yeah no, that's it for me, man. I uh, just really appreciate you coming on, uh, taking your time out of your day. Um, this is awesome. This is fun. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for having me. This has yeah. been really good. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you around D.C. Yeah. sometime. Anybody that's part of that Stanley Cup team is officially uh, labeled a D.C. legend. So anytime you're in town, beer's on us. And, uh, yeah. We wish the best of luck <laughs> to you, you know, with St. Louis and everything and uh, the rest of your hockey career, Nate. Bart. Down. Off the bar and down.